Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens. What a time to go live. This is fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, episode 277, featuring Aaron the Grower and Clackamas Coop. Hopefully, uh, we can get Coop back here. There we go. He's back. He's back. <laughs> Tell you what, Coot well, is one of the most technologically that? advanced gentlemen I've ever known. So he he'll figure this out for sure. He'll get this figured out. No, I I did something really stupid. So never mind. I'm, I'm dancing. It's it's too painful to admit. So anyway, <laughs> what happened to Skype? I mean, a couple of years ago, like, Skype was on top of the whole scene. Now it's. I never hear it mentioned. All I hear is, uh, you know, Zoom. So, no. Eagle, does anybody use Skype that that you know? No, I. Like I said, like a couple of years ago, it just fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, I feel like my parents still say, "I'll Skype you," even yeah, though they right. FaceTime me or Zoom me. Yeah. <laughs> so. So anyway, I'm gonna I'm a grower again. I bought a <clears throat> a rig from uh, AC Inventions or something like that. Uh, exhaust and uh, some kind of charcoal filter made from you ready for this Australian virgin charcoal, whatever in God's name that means. Uh, anyway, it's all plug and play, and so it goes in well with this uh, Gorilla Ten I was given as a gift. So. I'm gonna say I'm just gonna do a couple of plants for myself. I'm not gonna do any breeding or anything silly like that. Just in Oregon, you can grow four plants without any kind of fanfare. Just you know, keep them away from the local high school kids, I guess. Get um, on you, dude. Huh? Get on you. Got to stay in touch with your roots. Yeah, you know, because uh, I don't know. I've got like. Uh, I think it's a hundred gallon container, smart pot full of worm castings. <clears throat> so I got plenty of uh, plenty of material to work with to mix soil and whatever. I think I have almost that much from uh, from Doug. Wow! Sitting in the uh, storage, waiting for Oklahoma. Yeah, if I were. Oh. You know, and I couldn't. You couldn't get me to do it. But if I were going to be involved in a grow somewhere, you know, legal, of course. Um, yeah, I would just make it part of the the whole package that you've got to deliver a a truckload of uh, castings from Doug and be done with. Otherwise, I want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. part of the prerequisite for the consultation. Yeah, I don't want to hear any discussion about new programs or. Uh, wonder soils or you know super super, super this super that yeah yeah because I'm always intrigued by how can you take three crap soils mix them together and now it's a super soil oh now we have Run uber down. super premium so it's it's you know 16 yeah. soils or some shit but yeah no you're right man as long as you got the those, those uh, vermicompost those worm castings you're that's seventy-five percent of the soil game, dude. Right, it's all of everything. Your the healthier plants, the growth rate, uh, 
the innate uh, defense system of the plant, the SAR, HAR, those systemic mm-hmm. and hormonal hard resistance and other uh, pathways. Um, that's where the vermicompost comes in. It, the problem is that discussion always turns to something silly like NPK and which is right. Uh, hard to measure jasmonic acid with NPK. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or enzymes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, you remember that show that you and I did with the gentleman uh, that was behind worm power that at one time they were the largest vermicompost operation in the entire Western hemisphere. They had uh, at the height over two, their estimate, not mine, uh, 200 million worms in production. That's a lot of worms. Figure a uh, thousand worms is a pound. So I'll let you extrapolate how many pounds that is. That was a lot. So um, worth its weight in yeah, gold, were, man. Yeah. And they were turning out totes and truckloads. I mean, it wasn't like, Doug, I go over there, you know, with a five gallon bucket. I've got over there, you know, I used to buy whatever, some small amount, as well as taking bigger amounts too. Um, I mean, these guys were doing the real deal. So now you can get a liquid form. They decided that, and I agree with them, if on that level of volume, so they have a product you look up worm power online and you can buy their extract and that's the gentleman that you and i talked to that not was doug but what's no, no, the guy in mexico uh I can't uh, what's his name yeah he was a he was a smart guy man yeah that's right yeah he's a verma engineer yeah yeah exactly yeah you really can't beat that in terms of uh vermicompost you know it's and vermicompost sourcing is so important that's that's something people don't understand is not all worm shit is created equal and you know you might you might have a local source and it may be suitable um but it's almost always better to build your own worm bin right absolutely the biggest challenge to finding good castings is i believe just like compost is that there is no regulatory or statutory definition of either product. Compost is whatever you want it to be. Uh, and just go over to, you know, Wally Mart and uh, you can see that one. And then vermicompost or even worm casting, there's no legal definition of what that has to be or should be or anything else. It's uh and the thing is that by doing it yourself, you can control the nutrient density that maybe a commercial operation isn't going to take. Like, for example, I always add worm cat, uh, excuse me, I always add uh, kelp meal to my uh, worm bins. I also add garanja meal and I add neem meal so that when it's done, all those. Uh, plant hormones and and uh well the whole package it's all minerals beneficial compounds all kinds of stuff yeah it's all there ready to go and so you're not doing any new program bullshit you just water your plants yeah benign neglect yeah benign neglect yeah exactly and then add some uh malted grains and you know run the risk of I'm just joking, but no, I'm things like that. Uh, 
the uh, malted grains are just an awesome, an awesome uh, material to use both in our soil mix, I think, believe, and then and also in our composting in the uh, curing stage. You don't want to add it at the beginning, of course, but sit when you drop down what is called the mesophilic, uh, which is about 70 degrees to 99. That's the longest period of the, of the compost cycle because that's where you're curing it. And you're adding nutrient dense materials to elevate it, like things like alfalfa meal, kelp meal, and of course, barley, multigrains. grains. It doesn't be barley, but any multi grain would work. You'd be hard well. pressed to find a retail vermicompost producer that includes kelp, neem, karanja. I mean, you, you know, can find the black leaf mold, but that's, that is like, that's rare too. Yeah. Well, because it takes to do legitimate black leaf mold is you're looking at three, four years. Right. And one thing that doesn't exist in the cannabis sector from my experience is anything even approaching patience. <laughs> you know, it's like we want instant results. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, and some things just take time. You know? That's why in, in, the, in straight farming, they, it's called soil building, not soil fixing. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a process. Um, it's, I think it's called, our, now it's called soil throw away and, and repurchase. Well, sure. And if, if I were selling soil, <coughs> I, I mean, that really got started in the late 80s. And especially in the 90s, when you had the big players then were, uh, of, of course, Fox Farm, Ocean Forest. Well, if you're the marketing director, of course you want people tossing it and replacing it. I mean, you know, that's the deal, right? So, um, yeah, if you build the soil right from the beginning and, you know, use some science, that soil is going to last you for years with a very small amount of uh, so-called uh, newt program or whatever. Um, yeah, when it comes to soil, there's a very bare minimum threshold, I feel like. You know, if you, you can grow a decent pot with just a few ingredients and the more care you take into your inputs and the more you understand the things you're putting in your soil, the the better your soil is going to be, the higher yield it's going to be, the more productive it's going to be, the more biologically active it's going to be. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, so, I just. So let's uh, let's do this. Walk us through the right way here. I mean, if we know, we all know we should be using our root balls and stuff. So, what would be, in your guys' opinion, the proper way to recycle those root balls? You know, if we're in pots, we're not using like a, a living soil system. I mean, how do we take it back outside, you know, rework it and uh, make it good again? Well, I'm going to throw it out here. The area that I've been studying a lot diligently for a couple of years, but under the broad umbrella known as micro-remediation. So we can use mycelium in our spent uh, pots, the pots that we've grown are whatever we're growing, tomatoes, whatever, and use mycelium to go in and deconstruct the root system. 
So you can imagine how much uh, accumulation of nudes for this discussion are contained in those roots because they were staged for to be taken up by the plant. So by releasing those and, and uh, deconstructing the organic material, you now begin a process of creating true uh, uh, biology. I agree. And, and in my opinion, the sorry, uh, Jim, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say it. And you can get the material because it's spent agricultural waste. You know, uh, yeah. from a, a, say, a mushroom grower, they're spent grain blocks that they use to grow once they harvest. This is now a waste product. They harvest their lion's mane or, or whatever they're growing. You know, that's yeah, and they throw that shit in a giant pile. And I've come, I've backed my truck up to that place with a couple of buddies and just shoveled loads into the truck, came back later that day, filled it back up. I mean, this is free. We're talking spent mushroom medium. Yep. And, and that, uh, that's a whole lot different than mushroom compost, trust me. So, that, yeah, and so the... Use. To tie that back, I think best best practice is leave them in the ground, if you can, in the soil. Um, alternatively, if you need to get them out of the soil for whatever reason, maybe you want to put a plant in that same exact spot, I would take that root mass out, shake it off, or break it apart a little bit, open it up, allow the bacteria some new oxygen, and then bury it somewhere new in the soil. And if you have to break it apart into pieces so it fits into your pot or your, your, your bed. That would be my even, even in the soil, it's going to, the uh, biology in the soil would deconstruct exactly. those roots as well. Just that the mycelium. If, exactly. It's, no, the mycelium in your soil is what I would depend on to break that down. You know, and if you don't have right. enough fungal activity in right. your soil, you inoculate it. I mean, and, yeah. you know, what a better place to inoculate your soil than right there. Maybe you got a bag of mycos or whatever you got to inoculate with um, fungal maybe it's mushroom spent mushroom medium that's even better sprinkle it right there on your root mass bury it that's my opinion yes and if you use straw so not hay, I have another straw mm -hmm. uh, lay that on the ground first and uh, you gotta you have to prepare it not a big deal but then you uh, lay the mycelium spent mycelium blocks on top of that so now you're really adding uh, humus, or creating humus in the soil. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's a win-win deal. Cut out and that biochar middleman <laughs> when you, yeah, you can yeah. build your own humus, yeah. Right. So when I take my pots out there and, you know, I'm redoing my pots, I empty everything out, mixing ba things back together, as far as adding you know, mushrooms to the bag, uh, can I take my spent uh, CO2 bags and be just chopping them up there in the mix, you know, as I'm, you know, mixing things back up? Could, you know, I know there are oyster mushrooms in there. So could I be just at skipping the bag and adding that directly in with my mix, recycled mix there? My understanding is those pouches are... Does that count as... pH, a little bit pH crazy. And that's part of how they um, create that carbon dioxide. But I may have a misunderstanding, but I would say just check the pH before you throw it in there. But in general, sure, man, as long, I mean, I think it's like a yeast. 
I think there's some sort of chemical reaction. Just make sure that it's not something that's going to hurt your soil, like vinegar, you know, or some, some sort of reaction that creates vinegar to, to make carbon dioxide. What do you think, Jim? Do you know oh, those yeah, little pouches uh, he's talking about? No, I don't. Sorry. There are these little, like you, um, they sell these pouches. Oh, he's going to get one. There's pouches that they put. Yeah, yep. And it's basically an old uh, mushroom medium and they emit a high amount of CO2 by having, oh, those are dope. I didn't, I've never seen those. Okay. These are made and, by these bags in Michigan. And this is a, like a, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Blue oyster mushroom is what that, that says in the bag. Yeah. Okay, you say, you're dancing. So this is what. Okay, let me explain. So something. would I, would I, would it be a good idea to add this as a mycology? When it stops producing carbon dioxide, maybe. See, yeah, mushrooms are like it's spent and I take it outside. I'm sorry, Jim. No, mushrooms are like uh, animals, including humans. We take in air, our bodies use oxygen and expel co2 plants do the opposite and fungi are closer to animals than they are plants they take in air use the oxygen and expel co2 so that's where your co2 is coming from is the breathing process of the uh of the fungi does that make sense and okay. I've heard numbers right above soil beds where there's high um, fungal activity can be above 2,000 ppms, right above that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. What is what is your so room sit at usually, Eagle? Do you do you have a measure uh, thingy? Yeah, right now it's 72 and 37. Do you have a – you don't happen to have, oh, like, a carbon far. dioxide meter, do you? So, yeah, it's – right now with no supplement it's uh 545 okay ppm's in here right now at eye level at eye level but when i i think about adding like that bag to my you know reuse soil there you know if you've got that type of mycology in there couldn't that almost count as an aeration as well since you know it is kind of puffing your medium up a little bit and you're producing oxygen directly to the soil for your roots and couldn't that be like a win-win or sure is it, is would it, they take sure over your pot sure is worth the test I mean, definitely worth the uh, test my my intuition says yes it's gonna be if nothing else it'll be an in, in, in inert um it's not inert though because it's inoculated so it's an inoculated portion of you know, it depends on how aerated the medium is. What is it, sawdust or something? I believe that's what he used for a base in this instance. When he, yeah. when I got these, this was like a new new idea of spraying the sawdust, I guess. He used a different substrate prior. But yeah, that yeah, stuff is great, man. Exactly. This is sawdust. Yep. In my opinion, that's what I would want to add to my soil. That stuff right there. I'll tell you a good, a really good book that w is available called Mushroom, not the most exciting title, but Mushroom Cultivation. <clears throat> and the book is on how to grow 
a wide variety of mushrooms in our vegetable gardens. But in that discussion and, and process, I think the uh, legitimate answer to your question will be there. Because it means like you're planting, planting uh, oysters next to your tomatoes or uh, wine caps or bluets, other variety, you know, edible. Oh, they're all edible. Some of you can only eat once. But uh, anyway, I think the answer better than I can give you would be in that book. And, and Mushroom Cultivation is the title. So uh, there's a digital as well as a printed uh, uh, version if you use a tablet. You know, and it's not a hateful book. It's not, it's pretty easy to read and yes. not super yeah. long, super dense. It's, it's nice. Yeah. And it's really informative. And mm -hmm. it's a good way to learn to grow mushrooms for your own uh, dietary needs. Speaking uh, of good books, Jim, you know a question I'm about to ask, right? Uh, not really, but go ahead. How's your How's your book coming along? Oh, good. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. With well, you saw I sent you the picture of uh, my setup, and uh, yeah. It's, uh, I'm using a search engine that's used by researchers. It's a, it's a freebie. Comes from uh, Great Britain, I think, uh, Oxford, but don't hold me to that one. And it, anyway, it, all it does, it, it's unlike Google. This only searches uh, academic archives from organizations, colleges, what have you. You're not gonna hit blogs and stupidity like that. And so typing in some really popular, and I don't wanna get into that, but some really popular ideas that uh, float around the cannabis scene. I, I'll leave it at this. Some of them don't hold up too well when the light of science is uh, thrust upon it. So <laughs> I'll, leave it, I'll leave it at that. No surprise there. Anyway, Mendeley is the name of the app, and it's free, uh, free to use. And, and uh, let me spell it for you because it's, it's M-E-N-D-E-L-E-Y, Mendeley. Now, there's two versions. There's one where you use their website. The better way is to download the free app, okay? And then you you'll type in a subject, a topic, a string, a text string, whatever. And usually you'll end up with 50, 60 hits. Now, some of those are gonna cost money, but here's what I found out. So when you open it up, you get the title there and then it'll say they want anywhere from 50 to $400. It depends on which organization is putting it up. But if you copy the title, and then put it in a search engine, a regular like Google or DuckDuckGo, whatever you like to use. It'll come up somewhere free. <laughs> so it's a really good way to build up your library on subjects that are important to you. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. They're really cool. I'll tell you the one that doesn't get a very good uh, uh, results. I wouldn't want to be in the compost tea brewer business. I'll leave it at that. So, uh, 
Good luck. Yeah, I know what you're getting at there, but uh, we can leave it at that. <laughs> so oh, I got it. Yeah, don't worry. <clears throat> I actually got a question on Instagram about fungi. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse my coughing. I got stupid. Too much smoke in my lungs. <clears throat> Can you ask him if he's done anything with fungi on his hiatus from the Instagram? And if you have time, ask what his favorite Moody Blues album is. Okay, so start so with the, the last- fungi. No, I'll do the other one because it's easier. Okay. <laughs> uh, every good boy deserves. Yeah, every good boy deserves favor. There you go, AJ. Okay, so, every day. Yeah. So okay. So let's do the uh, fun day. Yes, I've been. Uh, I'm currently taking an online class with Peter McCoy, who's the author of uh, Radical Mycology. He's based here in. Oregon, Portland, specifically. And um, there's a really strong uh, mushroom scene here, especially after and leading up to the uh, passing of the law our last uh, election, 55 to 45, that allows for uh, psilocybin research and treatment for depression, anxiety, addictions, any number of areas. So, um, yes, you know, and so I've, I've been growing, uh, some medicinal mushrooms and then I'm going to get another tent, uh, just a small one, four by four and set that up for mushrooms. You don't need all the lights, you know, craziness, uh, that you do in cannabis because it's not a plant, you know, uh, but that way I can control humidity better uh, and airflow because that's your, that's your big thing in, in growing mushrooms is airflow. Remember, they're like animals and humans. It's an aerobic process, not an anaerobic process. So, uh, and back to, uh, you've probably seen the bags of oyster mushrooms that hang from the ceiling. Uh, these are like three, three and a half feet long. And you, they've been uh, medium put in there and then inoculated. So there are some uh, discussions about closed uh, systems where you grow mushrooms in amongst your cannabis plants. So you've already experienced the uh, elevated levels of CO2 that you were talking about with those materials. Uh, imagine if you had thriving, growing mushrooms, uh, oysters, which are by far the easiest mushroom on this planet to grow. Um, think about that one. So then you'd have, you wouldn't need all the CO2 tanks and all that stuff, whatever. Anyway. Beautiful thought. I mean, Eagle, you could just take that thing down off the wall and put it in your soil and, and, uh, keep it alive in there, I suppose still be producing that carbon dioxide the guy who's really on top of this thing more than anybody else that that i am aware of is uh a a mushroom mountain back in uh, south carolina trad cotter is his name and he's the author of a an amazing book called organic mushroom farming 
and micro-remediation. So it's how can we manipulate, not manipulate, but how can we remove the bad agricultural practices for several decades following World War II and return that soil back to increase its till. And mycelium is the way to do it. Absolutely. It's the least expensive, it's the fastest, it's the most effective. And then now you can do cover crops and start soil building once you deconstruct the pesticides, fungicides, herbicides that have been applied and what have you. Heard a story, so, or I think I, I think I heard a story. I didn't read this, but of a of a certain type of mushroom that consumed a pile of oil soaked tennis shoes. Yep. Fungus yep. consumed oil soaked tennis shoes, and it wasn't a long time. It was just a couple of months. It took them to just break this shit down like it wasn't nothing. I mean, well, these things are remember. like aliens, dude. They are. Long after the human race does whatever it is they're going to do to this planet. And let's say you had the apocalypse thingy, right? You'll still have the fungi kingdom. That's. They'll be cleaning our bodies up when, when we destroy this earth for sure. <laughs> yeah. And um, when you see the power of. On many levels, let's take uh, medicinal mushrooms, the traditional, uh, it's, people always talk about the Chinese mushroom, the reishi, oh, that's true, except reishi is a Japanese name, but that's another, uh, but maitakes, the tree mushrooms, those are the ones that are, are in general have the highest levels of, uh, of medicinal properties, cancer and other things. But so that's your, your reishi, your lion's mane, uh, oysters, uh, maitake, also known as chicken of the woods, as opposed to hen of the woods, um, chaga, and the, the, the master one, the mushroom. Cordyceps? For, uh, no, that's that's an insect thing. Uh, the the uh, big one is uh, can live a hundred years. Is a garicon. Ah. Then um, they grow about the size of like a large uh, beehive or wasp hive. Yeah, a hundred years. Can you imagine that? And they've been used since the ancient Greeks uh, as a medicinal mushrooms. They're and they're one of the strongest profiles is antivirus. So you can imagine the demand for that particular mushroom over the last nine months, you know, since the pandemic. Um, the same place that you get yours, uh, mushroom powders from. They they have it for pure agaricon. Mm -hmm. So Myriad, uh, shout out Myriad Mycology. It's a great um, great company to get some mushroom based supplements for your mind, body, and soul. Right. So if I go and so, add some to my pots there, do they actually control themselves or will, you know, unchecked, you know, will, will this happen to a pot? You know, basically, if or will it kind of control itself? Or does it all work together or can it spin out of control to where one day I come check my pot and I've got this because <laughs> I let things, you know, I don't think that'll happen. Somehow. Mm -hmm. 
my understanding is that it just you put it in there and it's very slowly dies and you know if you have a really healthy soil it's going to stay alive for a very long time but when i inoculate i understand that i should probably inoculate again in a year or six months you know depends on how active your soil is but that's my that's my experience too. yeah when we inoculate with a specific uh variety say oyster mushroom that then to put it in a layperson's phraseology lays the pathway for other fungal colonies to be able to develop and so then now you're talking diversity and just like in they any other microbial other. right in, in, in any other microbe colony we want we want to see diversity in bacteria we want to see diversity in protozoa we want to see diversity in fungi. So in that way, you can see how you create a better soil. Um, yeah, you won't see the mushrooms I mean, I, coming out of the bag like that that bag has, but you'll have my, you know, you, you might have activity like that but it's going to be disguised by a lot of other things that are going to distract, you know, that, that serve other purposes because that, that medium is meant only for those mushrooms. And when you add it to your right. soil, you know, a little different. In fact, I just bought a t-shirt from Peter well, McCoy. Again, should they, should I, should I like, you know, inoculate and let them do their work a little bit before yeah. I, you know, put things back together should there be a, like a cleanup period before i go mad uh, re adding you know castings and you know redoing the mix there should i let the mycelia do the work first and how well are you talking about when you're breaking down root masses or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. when i'm taking i'm still kind of like in the restructure kind of phase of this i guess you know so, okay. so like that was my question, you know, can I take the root balls when I've taken my pots outside and, you know, redoing my mix, you know, basically in my, in my opinion, when I take these outside, you know, I would, you know, deroot it a little bit, make it easier to flip. And I'm asking, you know, could I add the bags at that point and should I let it sit and like, let it, let the mycelia work the pile a little bit before I come back and then put my coots mix uh, back together. Re-add some, uh, you know, castings and kind of redo the pile a little bit. Perfect. Either way, but yeah, I think, you know, the, the sooner you can add that and then leave it alone, the better. Because it, it survives on being left alone. That's, that's kind of the whole, that's kind of like the whole no-till game it's no-till is really low-till and what they mean is don't don't mess with the soils don't break apart the high fill connections and the mycelial bonds under the you know with the roots yeah benign neglect that's it that's the title of his book so i think he's thinking so We'll see. So, what do you what are you thinking, Jim? What, when we're we gonna see this thing? Soon. 
soon. I love it. <laughs> no, there's some areas, you know, I, I decided something. I came to, I had an epiphany. Uh, so I hit the boards pre-social media days where it was all forums. Uh, I see Meg, Gypsy Nirvana is uh, the, the outgrowth that from uh, Overgrow the Government when that got taken down by DEA and Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Somehow Gypsy, who was their representative in England, ended up with the names, uh, you know, the International Catagraphic Magazine. But anyway, and that was like the epicenter of the cannabis deal was IC Mag. And uh, starting 12 years ago, I started introducing some things like smart pots, a real standard thing in the nursery trade. But one thing you have, it was my observation, I'll say after a minute, one thing that my observation was that the cannabis scene was really regimented. You know, you had to use this kind of this and only that and you know you need this kind of light and you know all, all these uh, truisms as they perceived it right and if you're going to use uh, fox farm motion force by god you needed to use tiger bloom and cha-ching and you know the, all this other insanity and so i just became the court jester and started like hey have you guys ever read a label you know, it's the same thing that's over here in general hydroponics. And, uh, you know, that was really uh, disconcerting to people because, you know, it's so brand name oriented. Like, there's an old saying in the motorcycle scene about having a ratty bike versus a tricked out one. Chrome don't get you home, you know, and... Uh, Having neat bags of shit in your garage doesn't make you a grower. It makes you a consumer, a consumer of nursery products. That doesn't necessarily make you a botanist or even a, a serious uh, hobbyist. So anyway, um, and now it's just gotten worse. I mean, every year there's some new gunslinger with uh, some silliness uh, because they want to get a Patreon account going. I just don't have it in me to go beg for money. You know, I mean, uh, whine and snivel like, you know, can you help me? Yeah, why don't you go back to school? Uh, you can't even grow a crop. So why, why am I even listening to you? You know, you don't have any scratch in the game. You've never done this. You know, this, this is an idea and a concept and a hope, not a reality. So I don't care about your charts and your NPK studies and anything else. It means meaningless to me. So I can vouch anyway, that he really doesn't give a shit about any of my NPK tests. He doesn't care. <laughs> well, for you know, I just know that when I make soil, and I probably the, I adhere to the law of minimums. So let's count them. Okay, so the basic soil is three ingredients, sphagnum, peat moss, uh, worm casting or vermicompost, and some kind of aeration material. Okay, that's it. And now let's look at uh, amendments is the general term. Okay, we got some kelp, 
We got some neem. Uh, if karanja is available, I'll take the, whatever the amount of neem was, I'll split it in half and do half karanja, half neem. Okay. And because karanja is a uh, legume, it's closer related to alfalfa than it is neem. Neem's a mahogany. Okay. That was my next question right, is good. I know you like alfalfa meal. Do you like splitting the three if you have the alfalfa meal? The absolutely. neem, the karanja, and the alpha? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And we grow in Oregon because of the volcanic soils east on the other side of the Cascades, a high desert. We grow some of the best alfalfa in the world because of those volcanic soils. The nutrient accumulation. Anyway, you know, I don't anyway, so back to the uh, soil mix. So then the next thing is I have some rock dust, basalt. Uh, I don't play the azomite or bentonite or zeolite and all that, so, you know, the colloidal min mineral uh, canard. And then let's see what else. Oh, barley. Aloe vera is a bonus. Bar oh, malted barley. Two-row malted barley. Got to have it, Jim. Got to have it. Don't forget it. it. Or some kind of malted grain. It really doesn't matter. They have oats when you go into your- Dude, I ran that malted barley this year. It, it, the flavors on my on my buds this year and my extracts yeah. from that and i truly believe it was that malted barley from that enzymatic activity unreal man everything yeah. is uh, all my extracts are blonde all the all the buds are you know big healthy purple and bright green frosty exactly what you want to see through like more bug problems and you know smoke blocking the sun and i mean we had so many problems this year is unreal but but um, your your soil mix got me through the year straight up. Yeah, it's, uh, you know. Gypsum, I, AJ had, said, yeah. I've had offers, I've had offers, you know, hey, you want to put your name on a bag of soil? No, I don't. Because it, the minute you do that, and if you have any level of success, you're doomed. Because... The orders exceed the capacity to your uh, production capacity. And that's just a reality. You know, it takes a while to do things correctly and you can't cut short the cycle it takes to turn this pile of organic matter into worm castings. It takes what it takes. Um, I mean, you know the game. I mean, I, I could tell I, I more you guys did well, over the last 15 years, the number of companies that started out with a wonderful product, they really did. And then success doomed them. Within a, six months, they were just pulling, well, that, you know. Well, that's one of the things as I listen to you guys talk about earthworm castings here and the importance of, you know, what you're feeding your earthworms. It makes me want to make my own because I don't trust big companies for that very reason. Uh, that very reason right there, because no matter what, as a company grows, it becomes uh, the, the, the money thing. And, and when it becomes a money thing, anytime money is introduced to something like that, yep. it's always in the back of your head gotta save that demon gotta save that demon gotta save that demon and when you're a company that over that's that's the overhead that's the key that's the carrot you're chasing so as i, I am 
thinking about sourcing an earthworm castings like that, I'd be worried about a company, just like you said, starting out with every good intention. I feed everything great, great, great. But as you scale up and, you know, things are cheap, i am got to source out because now the orders are bigger. I got to cheap cut some corners here, cut some corners there. I, uh, I would be afraid that, you know, the quality of some of these huge companies, you know, I wouldn't be near what you I could or should be producing at home and, you know, making my footprint a little bit more responsible anyway. You know what I mean? You know, I just, it seems like that's the key. Why not just start gold from, you know, right from home, right in control of the whole quality of the mix right from the get instead of, you know, counting on a big corporation to yeah, that could, that, that could, I'm telling you, when it comes to the big corporation, it could be one bad day, one bad, you know, sector. <laughs> Boy, we really fucking tanked last month. We've got to find something to, you know, snap things back. Well, let's cut inputs on the next round. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've got to keep our head above. We got to pay the employees. We got to please know, the shareholders. It just seems, yeah, it seems like. Key to success from stage one would be just doing it yourself. Get ahead of the game the and whole, start. The whole secret to setting up a vermicompost uh, production system is keep this in mind. Aeration, aeration, aeration. The more air you can have moving through your substrate, the faster the worms can reproduce. The faster worms can reproduce means there's more mouths to take in the bacterial manures, the exude, the slime, whatever term you want to use. That's all worms live on. They don't, they don't have teeth and they don't have a stomach. So they can't eat anything, but they can suck in this bacteria manure. And in their digestive tract, the enzymes convert that to castings. Worms also exude uh, enzymes into the substrate uh, to trigger specific microbial reactions. So you can see the balance. So once you get that worm bin going, if you had ideal conditions, and we never will, but it, but it does give you a point of reference, a pound of worms today would be a thousand pounds one year from today if you had absolute perfect conditions. We're never gonna hit that, but the better that you can set it up. And then the worms sell, the, I guess the going price right now is $30 a pound. Think about it, every worm produces two castings a week, excuse me, two cocoons. And each cocoon contains on average four uh, worm hatchlings, right? And they're sexually mature in six weeks. So you can see how insane the reproduction can be and how quickly. And the castings, I mean, I don't know what they go for in your neighborhood, but I mean, at the height of the insanity when Oregon went legal three years ago, the going price was $4.50 a yard. So think about that. That's half a pallet. Doesn't matter That's where you are, it's cheaper, cheaper than uh, GH or, you know, 
any of these other advanced nutrients or shit like that. Oh, yeah. Which is neither, by the way. The yeah. name is an oxymoron, advanced nutrient. You gotta love that. Any company who makes. Yeah, wet, wet Betty. Anybody makes a, a product called Wet Betty is showing some scantily dressed, uh, whatever, looking like she returned from a date at the disco. I mean, I don't know. Give me a break. I just, you know. So, is, you know, this is a Woodstock anymore. Any, would it make any sense then to add, like, maybe a pea gravel or you know uh, some type of stone to your earthworm oh, absolutely. Uh, earthworm yes we use then out here uh, let them start we have an option because well we have uh, because we have volcanoes on the west coast at least down to northern California um, you have a lot of pumice now pumice is volcanic glass so that means it's 100% inert. It doesn't have any influence or effect on your pH. <clears throat> it can't uh, cause or alleviate any kind of lockouts, real or imagined. It's glass. It's uh, volcanic glass. Um, but there's other materials that people use. Um, I wouldn't get into woods necessarily unless you had the right kind like fir, not pine, but fir. Uh, here in Oregon, we have alder. Uh, oak is another good one. Uh, hardwoods, in other words. Uh, you definitely, no, no conifers at all. I mean, anything with the word pine, forget it. Uh, so I got one other quick question while you're on right there. Is if when we're talking about adding woods like that, and we're talking about uh, microorganisms and you know bacteria here, I can't help but think if it would benefit to throw in some like maples or something like that that has some sugars to the you know the wood already there you know a sappy type wood that uh, you know they the micro those the bacteria could feed off of you know a little extra charge to it I guess would it make um, sense to me I don't know I would want to I'm not familiar with that. We don't have maples here, uh, and so I don't want to mislead anybody. What I would do is check with uh, somebody in your area that is doing something with worms, either growing for fishing or even vermicomposting, and see if, uh, as far as the worms, uh, vermiculture, if there's any issues. I, I don't want to mislead you, because I'm, I'm, but I know oak is fine, but pine is not. And I certainly wouldn't use redwood or mesquite or anything like that, you know. But see, wood, the only, the only organism on this planet that can deconstruct wood is fungi. Bacteria can't do it. Uh, only fungi. And it also, okay, it's, it, it comes under other names that you've seen, cellulose, fiber, those are all have to be handled by fungi. That's why we eat foods with a lot of fiber, right? Because it gives us bulk to clean out our digestive system. Okay. That's what takes a tree down. Or if a tree has fallen and that's what deconstructs it and returns it back to being dirt again. 
completes the cycle. And so uh, I, I bought a t-shirt the other day that says, in the end, we'll still have fungi. So um, I, I believe sincerely that if people, growers, let's put this back in the uh, context of how can the uh, cannabis, typical cannabis uh, producer uh, on a medium to, you could scale up on that. I mean, but can you imagine if all of that, all those plant waste that have to be dealt with could be deconstructed and turned into soil using mycelium that you got for free from the, the local uh, oyster mushroom producer in whatever the biggest city is in your area. Um, it's pretty remarkable. And I, that, I really strongly suggest that book by Trad Cotter, uh, Organic Mushroom Farming and uh, Microremediation. Because uh, we're talking about inoculating like things like cloth, burlap. Can you imagine pieces of burlap three foot square stacked on a pallet and strapped? It could be shipped inexpensively. And then at destination, those pieces can be laid in amongst the uh, field crops to increase uh, fungal uh, levels in the soil as well as, as uh, help to alleviate the uh, bad practices over you know the past 70 years. I think that's pretty exciting. These are things that we can incorporate in our own little pieces of the scene, you know, whatever we're doing. I agree. That's, that's a perfect segue into a question I got on Instagram. It was, um, uh, it actually, part of it you actually have been covering, which is why I thought it would be a good time for it. Um, can we hear more about microremediation, which you've talked a lot about? Um, how about a regimen a broke home grower could follow to have their own closed loop cycle? soil cycle so something that we okay. can do with our say kitchen scraps and stuff like that let's just for the humor me let's separate uh, recycling from vermicomposting and, and the reason i say that is the the problem with recycling kitchen scraps is that if we look at the items that we're going to be trying to get rid of almost all of them are over 98% water. And as wonderful as worms are, they can't convert water into castings. <laughs> so getting rid of the water is, 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 is mandatory because here's why, if, if the medium is too wet, the bedding, whatever term you want to use, uh, the worms can't breathe because right. they breathe through their skin. Um, and that's an important thing to understand because excess water is the bane of new worm people. They, they have this idea that it has to be, I don't know, but anyway, it isn't. You wanted about 75% hydration in your medium. And that's why we use manure. That's why we use, with some of the other names of red wigglers, all right, uh, are compost worms, uh, manure worms. The wiggler comes from fishermen who like them because they wiggle like crazy, so they make a good fishing uh, worm. Uh, but you know they're all the same species. 
And um, those worms, if you don't screw with them, man, you're dancing. But start to, oh, no, my worms really like watermelon. No, they don't. It's 99.4% water. <coughs> you know, <laughs> of course it disappears quickly. It's water. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you get the idea. So, um, okay, it evaporates. Are, <laughs> yeah, right. And that's so, the problem. And anything that drips out of the bottom of your worm bin, consider it poison. All right. It's, it's going to be anaerobic. It's going to be smelly. And it shouldn't be there. If you have water drip coming out of your worm bin, it's not set up correctly. I can't stress that enough. So there's things we can do to the kitchen scraps, but that's another discussion. So you need bulk and bulk comes in the form of aged manure. Why? Because uh, producers give uh, livestock vermicides, right? They got to be wormed, horses, cattle, what have you. Well, those vermicides are found in the manure and they kill all worms the ones you want and the ones you don't want. So we have to let it age four to six weeks. I err on the side of caution. I go seven, eight weeks. And uh, sunlight is the big deconstruction agent here. So you got to do a lot of turning. So if you're going to use manure, fine, just, you know, prepare it correctly or compost it. Do a legitimate, you know, layers of nitrogen and carbon, you know, your standard... Uh, and then that'll, that'll get rid of it or or as far as the vermicides and then use that in your worm bin. Mm -hmm. Now we can add some material. Go ahead. Real, real quick. Uh, what Jim's talking about is, um, a lot of like horses are fed anti-worm, you know, dewormers and, um, they're called vermicides. And so that's sort of, that tends to be bad for the worms and, not that the worms can't consume it, but that you want that to be totally decomposed before you expose that that compost yes. to your soil and your plants. Right. Now, it, that takes, you'll find four or five weeks, uh, anywhere between four and eight. So the main thing is turning it, getting the sunlight on it. That'll deconstruct the, uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank. I, I can see the word in my mind. It starts with intra... Anyway, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's that's why you always see the term well-aged manure. Mm-hmm. That's what they're talking about. It's, it's just it, it neutralized the vermicides. That's, um, but that's why compost, in my opinion, because it doesn't take that long to turn the compost and make it safe is maybe a month. Because you're not trying to you're not trying to finish it. You're going to finish that with worms but you're going to get rid of pathogens mm-hmm. and that you set it up correctly. And you're already at temperature in 72, 96 hours. You want to hit 135 to 141, whatever, somewhere in that neighborhood. And now it's going to be for this limited discussion, fairly devoid of microbes, but we're going to reintroduce that. And so will the atmosphere. That's what the curing process is all about. The heat doesn't do anything. Hell, 141 degrees won't even cook an egg. 
So it's not like there's this mythology that somehow heat is integral to the composting process. Nothing can be further from the truth. It's strictly microbes. The heat's just there. That's right. And heat, heat is a byproduct of the microbes. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah. You could, you could, uh, there are some people, and I'm in that crowd, that would make the argument that cold composting is superior. But it's all about oh, hell what, yeah. you, what you have available. You mentioned mm-hmm. black leaf mold. That's a cold composting. Mm-hmm. But it's also not very fast. I mean, right. nothing, you know, three years is a long time to wait for a goddamn oak leaves to become viable in the soil, you know. Yeah, this is so, the kind of thing you want to find, you know, in a in a forest near you, not necessarily create. It's It's much easier to find than it is to make. Well, our problem here is that everything's conifers. The last thing mm. I want, think about this. All right, I know you're you're more into this than I am, but here's my limited contribution. So apinine, and there's two forms of pinene, alpha and beta. Well, some pines, conifers, not all, but some produce both. And if it's attacked by a beetle or something, it combines, and now it forms turpentine, which is yep. a pesticide yeah so i definitely don't want to use pine needles in my soil with that stuff hanging around you know among other things you know it's interesting you mentioned that i learned how to detect if bark beetles are in pine for that reason um basically there are so if you wanted to use pine and you want you just wanted to make sure that it was safe. You would want to make sure that the sap was red when it comes out of the tree, red or gold when it comes out of the tree, and not white. When a when a really? yeah mm-hmm. when a pine is infected with bark beetle, the sap comes out white, which is you know it's a it's a chalky whiter than it is. But you know you used to like a gold red comes out white. And he was showing me on the tree because we had sixty acres, and he's like, this tree here has got bark beetles. He worked for the tree company, and he's like, we got to take it out. So um, it's good to know, but. And then there's a bunch of other trees you want to stay away from, manzanita, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, blanking on there. You want hardwoods. Like, talk to the barbecue crowd because they're mm. pretty, and I mean this in a kind way, but they're pretty anal about the woods they want to use in their smokers. You know, they're, they're going to use oak. They're not going to use uh, Sitka pine you know, here in the Northwest or whatever. Uh, you're going to see hardwoods uh, being used. I, I, and the uh, maple really interests me uh, just because I know the maple furniture is really hard. And weren't uh, you, didn't, weren't you in a maple nursery for 30 some years or something like well, that? Japanese, you know? Yeah. Japanese uh, lace. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different animal. I know. Uh, there, look them up sometime. Uh, think about those, those take five years in the field, as they call them, uh, before they're market size mar- or ready for mar- you know, uh, market. And usually those are all done on contract because you don't just, hey, I think I'll do a hundred of these and see what happens, kind of thing. Because um, it's not a, it's mostly landscape architects. Uh, people that uh, organizations that are building resorts, hotels, you know, that kind of thing. I'm afraid that 
in the economic conditions that we might be entering, probably not a good uh, business to be in. Because remember when that, see, when the uh, uh, housing market is active, if you're a, whole, a wholesale nursery producer, you're catching it on both ends. People want to get their homes curve ready, right? So they buy plants. And then when the new owners buy it and come in and go, God, who did this landscaping? So you get customers on the sale and the, you know, the, uh, the purchase in. Pretty cool, huh? So I'm not sure that we're going to be doing sure. a lot of homes. They're a beautiful I mean? tree, though. It's, when I see them in the front yard, I almost see them as a tree of status because I know how much, you know, uh, yeah. they can go for. I've made, You know how I found out how much of Japanese maple can go for? I'll be really honest about this. Is uh, I was a tree surgeon for a few years. Just oh, wow. Trees. Cool. And, and at one point... Uh, we pulled up on a job and one of my uh, employees there turned around and cut one down. <laughs> While I was off doing my thing, he uh, took it upon himself. There was one that tree that needed to be trimmed up, taken out there in the front and he just cut it down. So we had to replace it. And that Japanese maple was not very big at all i mean it, they're slow growers that's part of the price there and you know it costs it costs least two grand. almost 15 grand to replace yeah. that tree yeah and it was not a big tree not a big tree at all but uh well, they're so beautiful in front of a house so the way they flower out and everything uh, yeah. yeah i mean they they add a lot to the you know the view of of the yard there in my opinion yeah beautiful trees. think about really this are. there's only uh, about a thousand members of the oregon association of nurseries been around since the 1880s or 1890s something like that okay so that's not a big number of family because they're all for this discussion family-run operations some of them are big but don't get me wrong but you get the idea and last year they did close to two billion dollars. That's a lot of money. I mean, that's probably more than Italian sausages or something, maybe or you know, uh, big dollars. I mean, I know of uh, nurseries here that sell two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand plants a year. Think about that one. So. I used to give uh, Tim Wilson microman a lot of shit. Gee, how would you how would you work that out on a compost tea on, you know, half a million plants? Explain that one to me, Cupcake. You know. <laughs> so kind of to go back a little compost. bit to where, with the table scraps. Uh, so it sounds like you know why why don't we? Uh, it sounds like the best the answer to that question there was to either, you know, just feed them most of your uh, kitchen scraps to your animals and then, you know, there you go. let nature there you do go. its business that right. way. But could you, could you bacassi it as well? And you maybe yeah, at some point 
feed what's left of the Bokashi buckets to the bend and while you're, you know, using the juices from the Bokashi? Or is it just best to leave that system right the hell alone and keep that? I think I think your I think your uh, suggestion is like top notch because you're going to increase the health of your uh, animals, your livestock, and it kind of goes back. And I'm not a uh, adherent to this uh, system, but just as way of explanation. In biodynamics, the farm is viewed as a uh, ecosystem, its own self-contained ecosystem. So the more that you can uh, create and recreate on the farm and use, that's that's the goal. And so, yeah, taking kitchen scraps, feeding them to goats, um, whatever, and then being able to use that manure in a vermicompost or a thermocompost, yeah, it makes all kinds of sense. Because, I mean, I think of what we throw away as American consumers that other people are scratching out trying to get enough dirt so they can eat some water for this too, you know, I mean. So I guess this uh, is kind of a weird question, but what are some of uh, our best compost animals? You know what I mean? Some shit's better. Yeah, well, some shit breaks down quicker than others more. Some is more bio-ready. So is there some, what's your pick of animals? You know, which should I keep around? Which should be my first picks? You know, chickens? Should I heard you mention goats? You know, which uh, would help speed up the process for me? Goats, sheep. Uh, If you're going to use... bovine then go for a dairy versus steers uh dairy because those live longer obviously um you know multiple multiple years and so the animals are taken better care of the other ones are uh, money producers meat right um and so uh yeah horses it runs the whole gamut so you really got to look at who you're getting it from. Uh, it can be good, I mean, but just some people do a better job of feeding their horses than others. Uh, you know how that goes. Uh, if I had the, the dream would be, you know, rabbit, but good luck. You know, who do you know that's got 500 rabbits, you know, or something? I mean, it's not uncommon to build uh, rabbit cages over worm bins. So their manure uh, really? and their urine goes right into the right into the bin. Yeah, there's some really cool concepts that you probably would be. I still maintain that the easiest way to set up a worm bin, especially till you get your, uh, you know, get your wings, is use large uh, smart pots and put them on pallets. So you're getting aeration from the bottom and you're getting aeration around all sides. And now you got you stand a really good chance of success, not chance, but you got a real path to success because you're not gonna overwater. And if you do, it's gonna run out. Uh, but you get I the have idea. A fun, you're, I have a funny addition to this conversation and it may not be productive, but um, it's something that, that has been on my mind for a very long time. You know, you ask the question, what animals produce the best manure for composting? And 
I had that question one time when I was at the zoo. I was watching a vulture fly around and um and it had certainly collectible poop and um and then the the keeper was saying that that vulture poop has a high level of antibacterial properties in it um that that other poop doesn't have and it's basically how they can consume rotting flesh now i know as a as now as like a square one you don't use a meat eating animals dung as compost because it's gonna is there's lots of problems but um but i just thought how interesting if you could use a meat eating animals poo because of its antibacterial properties and i bet you there's nobody out there studying this but what an interesting high for a moment concept <laughs> What do you guys think about that? Well, I've always wondered. Uh, they use them as pack animals for serious hikers here in the Cascades, some areas in the Cascades. Uh, llamas and um, alpacas. So they're farms, and you want to talk a goofy crowd that own them, but they're almost as bad as lavender growers. Um, I always wonder because they're closer to a deer than uh, a horse or whatever. So I'm just curious with their digestive system and they tend to eat plants up in the air. Not They're not bottom feeders like goats will kind of go through and wipe them out more or less. Good for getting rid of blackberries. Um, but the uh, llamas and alpacas or deer, they're just gonna eat the leaves up in the air. Where they're, you know, uh, obviously pressure and, but yeah, that'd be, uh, I know you don't eat carnivores, okay? I mean, don't, excuse me, you don't use carnivore manure. Right, right. But, but what if it, you know, what if you could, line, yeah. What if you could take advantage of the proteins in a, an animal directly because it had this antibacterial property already kind of like, intermingled within it um, right you know it, it's probably <clears throat> unrealistic but i just thought it cool so aaron yeah. there i just happened to listen to this the other night i it's weird how shit it relates back to shit right <laughs> um so i was listening the other night about vaccines and it's weird that you bring this up because when I was listening to the, this thing about vaccines the other day, they were talking about this tribe, and I'm going to butcher this because I never thought I'd be having this conversation. Otherwise, I paid more <laughs> attention to what I was listening to. But basically, what, ha what, what happened here is really similar to what you were saying. They had a tribe in Europe, an uh, area, a uh, village, whatever you want to call it, that was they weren't getting sick as bad as the surrounding population was. And uh, what happened was they had an animal, I'm pretty sure it was a fucking camel, but I could be wrong here. And now I gotta, I gotta just go through my YouTube and listen to, to figure out which one it was on vaccines. Uh, but uh, the camel or animal they had as a pet was uh, licked their ass all the time and was secreting uh, antibacterial 
in their shit, just like you were saying. And what was happening was this pet that they had, they'd go up and pet it, and it was licking them on the nose. And in that, it was going through their system that way, and they backtracked it, and that's how they figured out that's what was keeping this village from getting sick versus the area around it. But yeah, they they has been vaccines based off of what you're saying right there, dude. My I, my, sure I know which one it is. I can send it to you. Do I, that, uh, do that, dude. My pediatrician told me that, and my daughter's pediatrician told me that um, that I was asking about the dogs giving her kisses on the face and stuff, and she said after she's six months old, you don't even need to worry about it because anything that the dogs are going to carry around, she's going to be exposed to anyway. And it's just going to be beneficial for her immune system. So in the same regard, it's just like, you know, we're so afraid. We're so trained to, to, to stay clean. And, but like this virus is, is a reason to stay clean, but in general, in life, I mean, that's how we build immunity, but you know, I won't talk about coronavirus, but that that's a different story. Well, let's, we, ah, that's a tough one because that was another thing in the, that was right there in the fucking thing with it too. It was, well, they were talking about the, the vaccine and they were talking about how it was set up with, uh, they were basically injecting you with a portion or a, something that your body would think was the COVID you know, tricking it. And I'm thinking, talk to myself, a, it, are you, your body's relying on, you know, the defense. Why not get out there and get on and get dirty? You know what I mean? And, you know, let your body get immune to it that way versus trying to put something fake into your. And the other thing I got from that is if your body was relying on, you know, doing all the work, you're doomed anyway. You're doomed anyway, because if you can't fight <laughs> it off what they're giving you, you're not going to fight off the virus itself. So, you know, it seemed like, a I don't know. We'll, uh, yeah, I but we're afraid. Good. We're afraid of natural selection. We're afraid of that kind of Darwinian, you know, it's too raw for us to really consider that, that, you know, it's our immune system that's killing us, not the virus. You know, that's, that's hard for people to admit or to understand. So, so like, you know, that's what you're getting at Eagle, right? Is that, you know, your, your immune system is so weak that the virus actually ends up being so strong, maybe not the virus, but any, any particular, any virus can take you out because your immune system is such, such, so bad. And that can happen just from aging and shit. And that's why this virus is so dangerous because it's like, there's so many people who are susceptible and it can kill you once you get it. And it's like, but um, I think what you're talking about is the RNA virus. And it, what they do is they, my understanding is that they inject like this living piece of, I don't know if RNA is living. It's actually like, is it quasi living? It's like not really alive, but it's like, it's like a program to be alive. Um, fraction of the puzzle, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and so they inject this RNA that tells the rest of the cells in the, in the, in the body surrounding area that this is, you know, produce this antibody, produce this RNA, produce, produce this DNA through this RNA. Here's more RNA, produce this, produce this. And then you build up enough of it. You got it floating around in your system. That's my sophomoreish understanding of RNA um, vaccines. And it is really cool. 
not sold. I'm not sold. I'm not sold either. I like herd immunity, you know. I'm a mountain person, so I like digging in the dirt to to get my what do you uh, Jim, you're good I mean see if if I were Jim, I would probably get the get the vaccine. Are you gonna get the vaccine, Jim? I probably will. I would, yeah. I mean he, he's gonna outlive us both because he's getting it right from the soil. He's got all, everything he needs from digging in them worm bins. <laughs> well, yeah, there, yeah. Is a, there was an interesting study three or four years ago uh, at a legitimate research, not Oakster Dam or something. Um, children that uh, played in real soil had much better immune systems uh, than the ones who had been you know, wash your hands, wash your hands, you know, that kind of deal. Or you can't play outside because it's dirty or whatever. Um, I would say this, that there's no question going back several decades, uh, the general health of the population is shocking. The obesity levels are through the roof. I mean, and, and we're seeing children you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, really obese. And they just, their lives are cut short by 15 years minimum. And that's even before diabetes arrives in their 20s. Diabetes is a disease for old men like me, not in the prime of your life, you know, in your 20s and 30s. Um, Quite frankly, most disease is, is intended for old age, and, and we, we're seeing a lot of it cancer all that early on and yeah, yeah it's diet I, you know, i'm philosophical i uh you know it is what it is uh i can't lose any sleep over it you know one day you wake up one day you don't you know what's that expression <laughs> one day uh you're the windshield next day you're the fly so yeah you know uh, or the bug or whatever you know um, can't let it. Well, I don't know. I grew up during Vietnam. Remember? You're right, and, though. Worrying, worrying yeah, in itself is you know poison. Stress, yeah. you know, which is poison. It's killing you. I spent a lot more time reading that. something. <laughs> I spent a lot more time reading about something I don't know anything about than I do worrying about longevity. You know, is what it is. Some people leave when they're five years old and other people 95 and it has nothing to do with anything that makes sense. You know, I don't know. I, and I don't listen. I just, I, I can't be bothered with the anti-vaxxers or, you know, the rest. I just, uh, you know, whatever blows your hair back, you know? So, yeah. Anyway, I just let I, science I, take the I, wheel, man. Well, think about this for a minute. So the baby boomers, as they're called, are is defined uh, by sociologists as born between the years of 1944 and 1964. So we're talking 76 down to what, 56? Yeah, 56. And uh, this had to be, this was the generation where fast food was invented. 
I mean, think about this. In 1969, there were more McDonald's, excuse me, there were more uh, Colonel Sanders than there were McDonald's. Does that tell you anything? And this is before Taco Bell. I mean, we're talking like this all exploded. And so my generation, I mean, they just ate like shit. And nature, you know, has to call the herd. And uh, we're not ready for it. I mean, the majority of us. I mean, how many people do you know that are 70 that walk four miles a day? You know, probably count them on one hand. You know, so it's not that I don't have sympathy. It is, but it's, you know, it's people are going to do whatever they're going to do, you know, whatever blows your hair back. So... My three best I, friends I, uh, are over sixty, and um, and yep, you're the only one who walks four four miles a day. <laughs> I tell you something: uh, all the insurance in the world, the Medicare, I don't care, isn't going to make you healthy. That's just reality. The only way you're going to be healthy is so, you got to eat correctly and you have to exercise your mind and your body. Uh, the rest of it's just uh, wishful thinking. There's no magic bullet. Hey, the human race has been looking for a magic bullet since they first communicated wiping mud on the wall of a cave, you know. So, the immortality. Wow. I kind of, big... I want to throw in some interesting facts on here for you, Coop, just because I, lo- I love, I honestly love to learn. And it, I'll learn crazy shit that it doesn't relate to anything in my life if it's presented well. And I learned a couple of facts about the two things that you mentioned here. And as I was thinking about it, I can't help but wonder, you know, you talked about one being healthy and one being garbage there, and you know, which one caught on quicker and which one's doing the most damage. I think it actually shows what I'm about ready to say, too. Uh, both uh, Colonel Sanders uh, is a very inspirational cat, by the way. If you look into his story, he did not even oh, succeed sure. or sell that uh uh, the Colonel Sanders, he was like in his 60s, 66 before KFC really took off and he made his money in that shit. You know, I mean, yeah. he tried and failed at a bunch of shit, but he didn't make his money until his 60s and then became, yeah. you know, rich. And uh, talk about one being healthier than the other. Now, McDonald's doesn't, you know, McDonald's doesn't even make it most of its money off of its shitty food. <laughs> where Colonel Sanders suffered and you know made money off of great food off later, you know, great tasting food later on. McDonald's doesn't make their money off that shitty food. McDonald's themselves doesn't make the money off their shitty food. They make all their money off of real estate. All the money McDonald's money, oh, yeah. and in fact, oh, yeah. what's even further shitty about that is from what I seen. They're fucking duping other people into spreading the natural conspiracy of the shit. They're not even selling their own shit anymore. The actual corporate McDonald's that actually run and sell their own shit is dwindling day by day as they sell franchise. See, that's how they make their money. They buy the land. They make you buy in the fucking franchise fee. Then they, they make you rent said building forever. So they're always yeah. getting paid off that building. Then they're getting a cut off of what you sell. 
and now they won't even sell their own shit. They've got you in like a pyramid scam going, I ain't selling that shit. We got you duped into it. You know what I mean? So I thought that was funny that they didn't even want to sell, be responsible for selling their own shit these days. But, uh, and, and again, they didn't even make their money off their own product. They were making their money off of duping other people into selling their product. It was, well, let's look at PepsiCo for a minute. So when they bought Taco Bell, it was a big deal. But what PepsiCo did, the fastest way to grow a company like that is to add more units. So they just went and there was Pepsi. I mean, they were making billions, right? When a billion was a lot of money. Not like today, a billion, you know. You got a YouTuber that does that, or you know, whatever. So um, they they just put those son of a bitches everywhere, and they even got into school districts. There'd be a Taco Bell at the large high schools in Southern California, for example, and other in other places too around the country that allowed it. And uh, at some point, they overbuilt. I mean, a, a community even as big as L.A. can only support X number of, and I'm sure it's a lot, Taco Bells at any given time, right? That's it. So now you, can, you can't even, it's, they're, they're closing them up here like crazy, the franchises. So see what happens. Uh I've seen some big companies go out this past year in the food service. I mean, they're talking in some markets where 45, 50% are never going to reopen. I mean, the food service sector just got body slammed. So we'll see what happens. Of course, the drive through, you know, I guess McDonald's, they're going to do well. Every time I go by a McDonald's or any kind of drive through there's always like eight or nine cars. So that's, oh, man, they seem to be terrible. doing well. Oh, yeah, I, I know. Think I think McDonald's has gave it to us in another aspect. I think they threw that plant-based burger stuff at us a few months uh, ago just as a straight yeah. tester. And I think they've uh, actually done fucking, you know, did the switch on us without us really knowing McDonald's lately has been really bad. And I think they've kind of did the presto change on us. <laughs> I'll tell you those, uh, impossible foods is one of the big players. And then now there's several, you remind me of really bad meatloaf, you know, like they don't taste like, I mean, I'm not saying that a burger is a great thing. Either you, you'd like eat them or you don't, whatever it is. Right. But my God, just, you know, why, why eat something that's, that's looks like something you don't want to eat? I don't get it. You know, if you're, if you're a person that wants to eat a, a vegetarian uh, diet, that's, you know, great. So why would you want something that looked like a burger? I, I don't yeah, understand what the market is. that out. No. Yeah. Why? Why trick yourself? I mean, it's again. It just seems like you're tricking yourself into you know. I don't want something bad for me, but I'm going to trick myself into wanting something that's bad for me. It seems like you 
never gonna win that cycle as long as you're leading yourself back to me. <laughs> I learned. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. Just some things, you know, baffle me. My old age. So. I've I've seen that a lot of my. You know, I've got a lot of relatives that are vegetarians, and they're like the tofu. You make it taste just like chicken. Well, why don't you just eat chicken? Yeah. <laughs> it can't be that bad. Well, we got new crumbles, tofu crumbles that taste like you know meat. You can put in your spaghetti. You know what else tastes real good in your spaghetti? Meat. <laughs> I ain't got to trick myself into nothing. You know, I just it's. Uh, uh, it's ironic. I, I can't do it. It was Buddhist monks that invented tofu, uh, soy sauce, and uh, you're, are you familiar with tempa? T e m p e h. Right, my might be mispronouncing it. Um, but anyway, so and they got to Japan from China, and they met up with the Shintos. Thus was born Japanese style tofu, which is softer, more, I don't know, it's really kind of weird. Whereas in China, they use, uh, I'm not joking either, uh, gypsum is the coagulant, uh, calcium sulfate. So uh, when they got to Japan, no, no, they didn't have the mountains. They didn't have the that material, so they use uh, sodium. I'm going to mispronounce it. Never mind. I'm not sure. It comes from seaweed. Anyway, it, that's a coagulant. So there's a world of difference between Japanese tofu or Chinese style, and then you get in Vietnamese and Thai and Cambodian versions of tofu. We have all those communities here, so it's pretty cool. At the large Asian markets, they have the different kinds of tofu. But like Japanese is good because it's uh, slimier, if you will, to make a, a say a salad dressing with it or a pudding, a dessert. But if you're going to stir fry, it'd be the worst possible choice you could make. It wouldn't it wouldn't do very well on a walk or whatever. I think it all pretty versatile then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It started had me wonder. It sounded like it could be versatile enough that uh, you may may be trying it yourself there. But yeah, uh, well, I even I can it be? had it one time. I had it. Uh, uh, well, first of all, you make the soy milk, and so is a Japanese product machine. Uh, like a, it looks like a thermos, really. But anyway, so you put your uh, cleaned soybeans in it, or that you soaked, I believe. And anyway, so anyway, the next morning or whatever, you had soy milk. There is nothing on this planet that tastes as bad as soy milk. I don't know what they do to products like silk at the grocery store, but there's a lot of chemistry going on here, brother. But anyway, so now you have the soy liquid milk, if you will. And from that, you can make tofu. And that's where you add a coagulant and put it in a frame. 
and that makes like gypsum is the easiest to the source unless you live in a city where there's a large Japanese community you'll get nigiri is I believe the word but don't hold me to that anyway so that you can so once you learn the different styles of uh whatever Asian cuisine we're talking about, you can uh, find out what they're using as a coagulant if you want to emulate that specific style of tofu. Yeah, I've, I've done it all. Again, my my mind works on. in incredibly, incredibly weird ways. I can't help but wonder, you know, if there was somebody over there that actually made that shit click. I mean, you've talked about, you know, fermenting of soy there the adding of gypsum like if there wasn't you know somewhere over there where they were testing out the one area in the kitchen you know making tofu they're chucking this shit outside they're like you know what where we're dumping this ferment <laughs> and this gypsum man shit's growing crazy out back anybody want to look into some of this shit <laughs> I, yeah. I forgot to mention the importance, I think, of adding gypsum to almost every soil mix and a small amount, like say a half a cup to a cubic foot, which is seven and a half gallons. Seven and a half gallons is basically 120 cups of soil, just to give you a frame of reference. And so I would say add a, a half cup of gypsum from Home Depot or whatever. But the, the, it isn't the uh, calcium, it's the sulfur. Almost every soil mix I know of is deficient in sulfur. Whenever you look at a so, uh, micronutrient list, right? They're all, they may be different forms, but they all contain the same elements, copper, molybdenum, but and one of them is always sulfur. So cannabis, uh, cannabis thrive, good, good cannabis thrives on sulfur. Terpenes yes. are built as a primary component of terpene building is sulfur. Yeah. Yes. And calcium That's is so another component. Calcium is the ace in the hole in terms of like, you know, your NPK, it should be calcium NPK because calcium right. is what facilitates the interactions of all of those other macronutrients. And for some reason, calcium is not considered a macronutrient, but that's because I think it's, you know, it's just not required in as abundancy, but it's used in such, in such abundancy, like every single interaction uses calcium almost. And boron, but I hate to be that moron guy there, but is it, you know, it's since we're are talking towards gearing the soil towards cannabis can you actually put too much of it in there i mean instead of a cup can you since we're talking about cannabis would we benefit from putting two cups in there you know what i mean because you know cannabis does use so much cow and we can benefit from the sulfur i mean is if you put too too much much calcium in your soil you're gonna lock lock your soil in in a physical way you're not going to lock it out like in terms of how these cannabis growers talk about, but you're going to lock your soil in a physical way because calcium is a hardening substance. So you can overdo that. Sulfur you can overdo, but it's, it's one of those things. It's like sulfur toxicity is hard to achieve, and you're, you're going to have a hard time hitting that. 
Um, what's your take, Jim? No, I was going to say uh, it's a. I wasn't aware that there was an issue about it hardening. But what I would add is that yeah, calcium is a metallic element, mm. <clears throat> which always draws me to like, what's cal mag mean? Mag well, anyway, I don't get into that one, but uh, but worm castings correctly correctly made are covered with a, a calcium carbonate slime. There's another reason for adding good quality castings to your soil mix. Yep. If you look at the calcium out in the, the woods levels, where it's what the most common element in soil. 70% of the world's soil yeah. is calcium. Yeah. yeah. So by adding so calcium. Could I be sprinkling it in the bin? Pardon me? Should or could I be sprinkling some in my bin? You know, when I get the bin going, and you know, could I, should I be feeding some uh, gypsum into my bin as well? So it's kind of being digested and put into the, the castings. Absolutely, absolutely, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then and there's another reason don't go too crazy because you're going to have a lot of calcium in your manure. Mm hmm. Calcium is in, Calcium's every in everything, man. That's that's the reason you don't usually see deficiencies in soils because it's in every yeah. you, you've, anything you add. If you if you've like picked up an, an organic fertilizer, it's going to be really high in calcium. But you don't see that because all you see is NPK, and you go, okay, add it yeah. to soil. You don't think about calcium, but it's it's the ace in the hole, man. Anyway, when it comes to calcium carbonate, it really doesn't matter if you want to use uh, seashells. Or if you want to use limestone, which is seashells uh, from ancient days. So that's something we can buy over at Home Depot. You don't have to order it online, I for God's sake, you know, just go get calcium carbonate. Um, and if you're going to get gypsum from Home Depot, stick in the ag section. I saw this in the chat. I should probably highlight. Yes. Don't, don't go to the construction section and get gypsum because yes, that's going to, yep. You know, yep. That's going to, yeah. But yeah. yeah. It's going right to, and it, it does contain, it will contain shit like arsenic and things that they're not expecting to have to break down and be exposed. Like that, that stuff that's for construction is just but not. Even in, in its form, it's different. Yeah, it's a yeah. different form of, uh, of gypsum. One, yeah, it's good for doing drywall, but not so yeah. good for orchids or whatever. Exactly. Well, and the, what I was saying about calcium hardening the soil, like think about this: um, when you take tops, it's uh, it's calcium. It 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 tightens, it hardens your stomach, it tightens it. That's that's why you um, take it. So you, you, it's the opposite of loosening and your stool. It's tightening it. So it's tightening the contents of your stomach. Calcium does that. And does the same thing to your soil. In a physical way, it actually tightens the bonds once water. So that's why they say, I've, have, I've heard people talk about adding all of your fertilizers and then adding the gypsum because it's heavy enough that it will push and contain your other fertilizers. Nitrogen off gases when you add it and it's dry. It, it can off gas, it can blow away. It does all kinds of stuff and just leaves. Well, if you're adding a layer of gypsum on that and then watering it in, you're like, you're putting a, a heavy little molecular crust 
that's going to really help penetrate all that other fertilizer down into your soil. Now, too much of that you can imagine is like putting a crust all the way in everything. And that's not good. Another thing that you mentioned, uh, as far as tightening, one of the major players in that dynamic is magnesium. Mm-hmm. Because when you were a kid and you got diarrhea, mom probably gave you milk and magnesia and it would constrict. Okay. It does the same thing in your soil and it restricts your same water concept. Pathway. Yep. Yep. And so why people want a high dose magnesium just boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes zero sense. At least if they're it's using not- Epsom salt. You, they're getting some sulfur along for the ride, so that you know is helpful. But I oh well, well they're, it's doing really well, and all I'm giving it is Epsom salts. Well, yeah, I mean it's you got sulfur, yeah. so it's barely hanging on. But like, <laughs> dude, yeah, like yeah, you're salting. It was really remarkable uh, without a lot of effort. Finding pure sulfur oxide is not a big deal, and it's not very expensive. So if you want to bypass the calcium in the uh, calcium sulfate or the magnesium sulfate, you can buy the uh, sulfur oxide. I think it's SO4, yeah, O, oxygen, yeah. (coughs) Not, not, it used to be popular with cannabis growers to burn that in a burner. Mm -hmm. The yellow pellets, we used to do uh, that back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not recommending it, I'm just saying that was- No. Yeah. Sulfur dioxide is highly toxic and poisonous. Oh, I, I don't know what the difference is, but it's both. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, that's what causes acid rain. When you burn sulfur, you create uh, sulfur dioxide, which is, now we're getting into the whole molasses thing, like the difference between unsulfured and why it's not called desulfured. All right. Under labeling, D would indicate that it was in the plant natively. So you're de-sulfuring a material from that plant. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Except it's not called that. It's called unsulfured. The sulfur was added, sulfur dioxide, to get more of the sugar out of the plant material. And now you got to unsulfur that molasses. That's why you don't find sugar beet molasses unsulfured because it sulfur isn't part of the extraction process just a little that's the stuff they use for livestock uh, for lousy hay they can cover it with some crappy molasses made from sugar beets uh, to sweeten it up so that the uh, livestock will eat it so I was always under the understanding there as far as, far as like the CalMag went, it, they were, why they were always put together is because they had to be in somewhat equal proportions for cannabis. So is that somewhat true? And how do you can't necessarily, if I'm putting, you know, gypsum and, you know, calcium stuff in my soil, how do I counterbalance that with the mag? You might possibly putting in, you know, dry molasses chunks, you know, maybe to in there to uh, 
for sugars and add a little mag that way? Or how do am I, uh, how am I balancing mag out in the recipe? Well, let me, let me just start before before you go. I know you have a good answer, but let me just real quick. Magnesium is required in really low levels in your soil and calcium, like it, like we said earlier is upwards of 60, 70%. So you're going to, the balance. Yes. But is that ratio important when the numbers are zero, you know, are one to a thousand or one to a hundred, you know, there's a lot of play there, flexibility. Go ahead, Jim. No, I said I don't, I'll defer to you. I don't. I, oh, the, the only shit. reason, the only reason, the only uh, calcium that I add per se uh, is limestone, a uh, calcium carbonate source, whatever that is. And the only reason I started using uh, oyster shell powder is that it was cheaper than limestone at the farm store by $2 a bag. So I decided what the hell. And, um, but I don't, I don't, I've never, I don't even look at NPK. I don't think about it. I, I, I somebody asked me once, well, what's the NPK of your soil? I don't know. I have no idea. Couldn't be bothered. All I know is I just, I look how a plant grows. That's how I judge viability of, my method yeah. is if this Taste if the, the plant's doing well, I'll let other people with their microscopes and their shake and bake courses, you know, uh, tell me how the boar runs through the buckwheat when they themselves can't are incapable of growing a plant successfully. Proof is in the pudding, as they say. Just taste the pudding. Yeah. Amadeus would like to know your guys' uh, opinion for potassium inputs. Uh, any uh, throwouts on that? You want me to take it, Jim? Absolutely. <clears throat> um, potassium, I love langbonite, and I love it a lot. I like to give my plants a lot of langbonite. Um Man, I'm trying to think of the other. There's definitely a couple other things. Oh, coconut water, high in potassium, which is a great additive, which is a, is a clackamas coot approved amendment. Um, what else, Jim? What else is high? Aloe's got some potassium, but not a lot. Well, my two favorite are kelp meal and uh, neem meal, but I couldn't even tell you what the K number is. You know, you yeah. can, um, it's not like it's not rocket high. It's uh, it's no. but it's sufficient, and and oftentimes that's really what you need is just a, a sufficient yeah. amount. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with the results I get. And, it doesn't require any thinking, so I'm kind of tired of thinking about growing cannabis. You know, I, I like going through the process and then harvesting some nice buds and don't get any more involved in that, on, you know, on a, a personal or intellectual level. Because at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want to do. Yeah, 
you're free white and 21, have at it, you know. But I don't want to be lectured to uh, by people that are incapable of doing it themselves. They, they know somebody who did it. And that all of a sudden constitutes experience. And I, I call bullshit, you know. It's nonsensical. Well, as for you, I've heard you mention kelp there, and there was another question in uh, chat there about asking if kelp does have mercury in it. You, any thoughts on that? Does kelp have mercury in it, or does it just matter where it's sourced, how it's sourced? <coughs> well, there's a reason, excuse me, that uh, traditionally, if you want to call it that, <laughs> the kelp used is from the North Atlantic. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but that's where maxi crop is based uh, in Norway. And the harv and then the one that we buy here is from a company called Acadian Sea Plants. And very little of their product is uh, used in soil. The big markets are livestock feed. You want healthy uh, horses, you give them, you add kelp to their diet. Same thing with uh, small uh, production uh, organic dairies, family operations, where they give a rat's ass about the health of their animals. Uh, show dogs, uh, people that have high value animals, uh, llamas and alpacas, I mentioned those earlier. You go to one of their trade shows or whatever you want to call it and blow your mind what people spend on a, a, a high quality breeding, uh, whatever. It's like horses, you know, you go, how much? <laughs> uh, I could buy three cars for that or something. Um, most of it goes into medicine and uh, some obscure things that people wouldn't no normally associate. Biomed, medicines that are extracted. Uh, also compounds that are used in food manufacturing such like algenic acid. The only plant on earth, literally, that produces algenic acid is brown kelp. Uh, there's three categories of marine algae, uh, green, red, and brown. And brown's the one we want for a, a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it has algenic acid. And in a soil, it can uh, retain up to 250 to 300% of its weight in water. So in terms of stabilizing hydration levels in soil, <clears throat> we have that. But back to your question about mercury, yes. Indeed, look at when you are considering a, a less expensive source than Acadian sea plants, then find out where it came from. Is it brown kelp <clears throat> closer to the ports in Asia or on the West Coast? I wouldn't probably, that wouldn't be my first choice. I probably wouldn't be too happy with the kelp that comes off of uh, South Africa. There's a product called Kelpak. It's a liquid and it's made by press. They literally press the juice 
out of the plant. So uh, hydroponic people, manufacturers used to love using it because it was clear and it wouldn't interfere with their color schemes, you know, green for growing and or whatever, you know, I, I don't know all the, the right ones you're supposed to use, but um, they would use Calpac because it was clear like water. But if we look at that part of the Atlantic, it's a lot of traffic. Ships go in both directions. Stops in Nigeria, then other ships going all the way up into, you know, you get the idea there's a lot of movement of, of goods uh, and what have you along that trade route. So that probably wouldn't be my number one choice or even number two choice. You see what I'm saying? You know, it kind of depends where you're at. People always used to ask me, what, you know, I live close to, you know, the San Francisco beaches. That'd be the last place I'd go pick up kelp from. I mean, at that time it was a dollar a pound. I mean, you're worried about a dollar a pound? You know, first of all, it's in most jurisdictions, it's, uh, you know, you get your ass arrested out there pilfering vegetation off of federal and state lands but yeah it's a dollar a pound at that time a dollar a pound for kelp there you go just remember this uh your question i'll answer it the best i can this way back to a cubic foot a cubic foot's 120 cups and i'm recommending that you add one cup of kelp meal to one cubic foot. So it's not even 1% of the, of your mix. I'm a big believer in the law of minimums. And I think Aaron did a better job than I can. He said, sometimes, you know, you want it good enough. It doesn't have to be on a spreadsheet, you know, like, yeah, I got enough of this. I got enough of that. I just, you know, I, of all the things that I concern myself with, that would be at the bottom of any list would be new profile. When I grow, when I grow cannabis that I, because I, you know, between my wife and I, we've got over 104 years. So I know what bad weed is, you know. I just, yeah, you know. <clears throat> I don't need a test to tell me that, hey, this is crap. <laughs> I'll say this. Um, I use testing my soil as that last 5%. You know, like, you can be a really exceptional grower um, and never get a soil test. And, I mean, I was growing yeah. really good weed before I ever tested my soil. But, you know, when you want to really tweak, like you said, it's the bottom of the list. But when you get to the bottom of the list, well... It's the last thing to check off so that, you know, eventually it's something you can look at, but it's like, yeah, it's really not a necessity, but yeah. Or even helpful because look, as, as a, a organism on this planet, we know less about botany than most other sciences we've only been scratching the surface less than a hundred years. 
remember, we didn't even have any kind of organic movement until 47 with James Rodale and the Rodale Institute. But as far as uh, codifying into law, that didn't happen until the Clinton administration. We're talking the last six months. And the Bush administration, the second Bush, shrub as we call him, uh, his administration wasn't exactly friendly to all this highfalutin, you know, what later became known as the the national, uh, I can't think of a goddamn name now, USDA National Organic something, NOP, National Organic Program came into uh, force. And those laws with regard to specific uh, materials, you want to use the word amendments, uh, they, those laws were drawn from the writings of the laws implemented in, that Oregon and California had implemented. The Oregon uh, Tilt Group, OTCO, uh, Oregon Tilt Certified Organic, um, known around the world. Other countries can, if they meet the qualifications, we have their farm certified by or as by Oregon Tilt, and that takes that's a five-year process. You don't just walk into the office, throw a hundred bucks on the table, and go look. Uh, you know, I'm not going to use ammonium nitrate anymore. Okay, you know, you're organic. Uh, they come out and check your farm, look at receipts. You know. Uh, they're serious about it. So that's where you got the national laws. But these laws in Oregon and California have been established for decades. And that's why the laws are tougher in these states and maybe other states. Um, I'm not an expert on national uh, organic certifications or, or what have you. Our laws are actually more in line with many European countries. I'm talking about Oregon, Oregon Tilth. And there's about 36 states that have Me Too's. Their state, their agriculture have a Me Too with Oregon Tilth. If Oregon Tilth says whatever, some silliness, good, bad, or different, then their uh, regulations change at the same time. That's what a Me Too is. So there's, you know, it's the responsibility for producing good laws is bigger than just the 4 million people in a a pretty relatively small, insignificant state. I didn't mean to throw things out there. So I don't, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on a couple of the questions that I got on Instagram, because they were some really good ones. Um, and they're right up Coots Alley. Um, this one was from, oh, shout out to Mr. Awesome Grow. He was uh, responsible for one of the questions earlier. Uh, Seed Stewart asks, has Coot been trying to use a malted barley based substrate for mushroom cultivation? If so, what types work well or not it was a disaster oh bummer an utter disaster um yeah i was shocked at and i used a a a, a mushroom species that's i've never had a single problem it's not been problematic at all 
and uh, I was blown away. I got some really serious, and I and I have you know a, a, a serious uh, flow hood. Hell, the filters uh, twelve inches thick with almost a thirteen hundred CFM blower on the other end. So I mean, there's some serious air moving through that thing. So. Bummer. Uh, and it was one jar out of uh, five or six, and all six, uh, you know, the other, it was, you know, the same serum and the whole night, you know, not serum, but uh, spore juice. Uh, yeah, proven successful. Yeah. So, yeah, I was shocked. That's a bummer, dude. I know you were, I, you were talking to me, you were excited about that. I guess I hadn't heard about the results from that. So, that's a bummer. Um, West.com one asks, I have two year old soil. I've been building in 10 gallon pots outside. Is there any reason I shouldn't bring them inside to use indoors? Let me just say, uh, there's almost no reason unless you've treated that soil bad. There's almost no reason. What do you think, Jim? I don't see it. You mean, as far as seeing a problem? No, I mean, a living soil is a living soil. Uh, yep. Good idea. There's good I, microbes I, in that soil. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you know, with fresh air brings a lot of benefits that we don't get in our closed, uh, sealed off rooms. Uh, you know, there's something to be said for, uh, I, I've had this discussion and so I'm wrong and I probably, no problem. I've been wrong before. Uh, when it comes to, uh, CO2 augmenting your room with the CO2, to, uh, tanks, whatever you call them, right? And I always laugh and say, yeah, that's cool. I'll, give me air movement. And you can load it up with all the CO2 you want. Give me air. A fresh intake and a good exhaust where I, I'm moving serious volumes of air around those leaves. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> I'll take the, the intake of fresh air over CO2 any day. Yeah. <clears throat> And it's not like there's no point in, in enriching your fresh, even if you have a, <clears throat> a fresh air grow, it's not sealed. You can still enrich your grow with CO2. Um, you know, you're not, you're just going to lose it on the, on the, on the way out. And that's all right. But yeah. 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 But like go outside, um, you know, observe, got to hate this, this phrase, but in nature, but go outside and look at a plant and really just, you know, stare at a leaf for a couple of minutes and notice how many times it moves because of air patterns moving on the top and on the top and bottom of that leaf. And that goes on 24 seven. There's always a layer of fresh air in and around that biomass that we can learn from that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mimic nature. I think somebody said it in the chat. Who said it? Uh, replicate nature. Weed is 207. Yeah. Replicate nature, man. You know, it, it always amazes me when people tell me that, um, you know, their, their grow light uh, produces, you know, better weed. And I'm not going to argue that it doesn't produce better weed than the sun, but I am going to say that the plant had a lot more time to to figure out what it needs from the sun 
than what it needs from that light. And although it may look different and we've been trained to think one way, this lighter looking weed is better, you know, um, there's a lot of beneficial anthocyanins, antioxidants that are produced when you put weed into the sun. And these are beneficial for our health and not just look good. You know, I didn't know until 10 years ago that this myth even existed. And I, I was hysterical when I heard it, that indoor grown weed is of a higher quality than outdoor. I was hysterical because I, I, at first I thought I was just being bullshitted. You know, it's like, it's up there with uh, guacamole ganja or uh, microbial collapse. You know, I mean, uh, pick your poison, right? You know, or your, and no disrespect, no disrespect, any indoor growers, including you, Eagle, obviously you guys kill it. We, everybody comes from, we all come from an, uh, an era. Most of us, especially us old guys come from an era where this shit was illegal. We had to do it inside. I, I did it inside for a long time myself. I'm sure, you know, I know Jim has, but you know, hopefully we can get to a time where we, where we master the techniques of, of outdoor farming and we can create uh. quality outdoor again i've shared some photos with uh aaron of plants grown in i'm serious 800 gallon smart pods so that's four cubic excuse me four cubic yards now to put that in a visual one pallet holds two yards that's why they call those two yard totes so four yards would be two pallets like at home depot with a, a 50 four bags on a pallet just to give you a, a you know a visual of what 800 gallons would look like of soil that's a lot of soil and these plants uh my strain the to i mean it's just out in the sun that that's where it punches you know you're talking land race tie I mean, it's no one's no one's improved. Well, I mean, there's some weird versions out there, but on my end, no one's ever you know improved it. It's still the same, you know, and it has been for 37 years. So I think it's pretty cool. I don't see how we could mimic the outdoor there. I mean, like you were saying with the lights, I don't. The lights are good, but they're not mimicking the sun. You know, all the different spectrums of UV, the whole, just the spectrum of light, the intensity of it, you know, the way the plant is being shook outside by the wind, it's a training method on itself. There's so many things Mother Nature does to the plant that we're not even thinking about. Just, you know, little stressors of passing by insects that the plant can sense. There's so many, like I said, so many little factors that play into mother's nature's techniques versus ours. We can't duplicate it. We can try, but you know, it will never be the same. It'll never be the same. I'd be scared. I'm already scared of the lights I'm growing under now. You know what I mean? To be covered up with what, once I thought they come up with something that's sun quality, uh, and now I even want to be working under that. <laughs> I don't uh, see how it can be done, to be honest with you, where it could be 
safe enough for us to be even be in the room. Eagle. Yes, sir. You want to bring Smiley on? I, I think he's got him, a. Yeah. I think he's got a question for uh, Coot. I'd love to uh, hear him say it. There, yeah. Come on, Smiley. <laughs> I, I threw it out there, but he said he was going good. He didn't want to. He didn't want to come okay. in. Anyway, I did get a couple other questions on Instagram. Oh, here's a good one. Somebody uh, somebody asked, when is Coot coming back to Instagram? And uh, I know the answer to that, but what's the answer to that, Jim? Um, uh, a succinct answer is Mark Zuckerberg. And I'll leave it at that. So. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Um, you're going to... And the other thing is this. Um, you know, we're retired now and our home's paid for. Leave it at that. And... Uh, Hey brother, uh, our home's paid for, and uh, you know, good, better, and different. My work's out there, and people have can draw their own conclusions. And I wish them all the best, and you know, have a good life, you know, kind of thing. I uh, I don't think I have anything to con- uh, contribute to the discussion. Um, I'm an old curmudgeon, you know. I'll go to my grave with a finger in the air to the mega corporations that have taken over specifically uh, Scott uh, Miracle Grow SMG. I mean, you know, they bought the grow store industry when they bought sunlight supply. So um, I just see this uh, concentration of corporations. And I think that speaks ill for the cannabis community what what what's left of it it hasn't been taken over by corporate uh money and some of the numbers i've heard here in portland dispensaries what they were bought out by foreign investors just blew me away so i mean like real money (laughs) yeah i want to say cheers to smiley but i got a question about castings uh so top dressing versus, you know, uh, teas is more top dressing, more something you, you'd more want to apply for like a slow release, you know, something that you, as you water it in, you're going to get some benefits or would you be more off just to skip the top dressing and apply a casting tea uh, later in flower versus, you know, creating a, a mess up top? Well, uh, that's a really good question, and, and let me answer it this way. Um, 
I'm not a big advocate of compost teas as they were practiced. And now I understand now they're doing extractions, whatever that means. Um, I am a big supporter and I have posted the science we weren't happy to share it with you that slurries are the way to go when it comes to counseling. So let's say you have, uh, well, let's work in volumes, that'll be easier. Let's say you have a couple of castings, then you might want to mix it with two and a half, possibly three cups of water. And you want to let that sit overnight um, and then apply that uh, as a top dress to your plants. And you'll see uh, a benefit of, in, in all kinds of levels, not just uh, the, just the the, uh, the enzymatic action that's in, contained within those castings, and and all the other uh, microbial benefits uh, that that last, you know, uh, can be quantified. And uh, I think that's really the. Yeah, that's going to blow uh, so-called compost teas in there. You know, what a dollop of molasses out of the, you know, it's cute science, but there's not much to back it up. So I know that's unpopular, but that's okay. So I'm not selling compost tea brewers. <laughs> Made a few, but, you know. Smiley, how can I well, help you? Yeah. Doing good, man. I, I just want to say, good. I'm a big fan, man. I've uh, I've got a you know my own tweak on your recipe. I know how you feel about cool. people. Say, oh, I run coot soil. Well, you don't got my casting, so you ain't got my soil. <laughs> I love that line because it's yeah. so true. But um, yeah. no, I was you know I I just wanted to start on that foot because I'm not really like trying to pick sides, but I'm trying to get my head around understanding what you mean about like microbial collapse because. On, like on one hand, you'll say, well, you, you know, there is no such thing. But on the other hand, you'll talk about doing really well done compost and understanding that really well done compost involves aerated, you know, an aeration being there and a fungal and a, a whole microbial community being built. Right. So poor compost basically has a collapsed community of that microbes. So I'm just trying to understand where you say that it, it can't happen in the soil but it can happen in compost. It just kind of seemed, I don't know, backwards to me. Okay, well, let me, let me, let me I misunderstood the question. Let me, when we take compost and run it through, it's thermophilic, run it up, kill the pathogens, bring it down to about 99. From 99 to like 69, 70 is the mesophilic. And in that uh, stage, is where we add nutrient-dense materials like alfalfa meal, for example, or kelp meal. Um, the rock dust we started with when we started the entire company, so that's already there. Uh, and then some, probably some limine agents. And even then, so oh, for the next several months, you're going to be turning it. You're going to keep it aerated. When we stack it outside and leave it you know, for a year, there's very little microbial activity. So yeah, they they die off. These are aerobic entities. And now we create now we create an anaerobic when we just have a pile and, and it gets rained on and, and you know the whole thing that goes on there. Microbial collapse is in a word that I came, a term I came up with. That came up from this kid uh, who considers himself some kind of a consultant called Scotty Granola. 
Yeah, it's cute. Um, and so he said that uh, if you add barley to your soil mix, that yes, you're going to see this increase in enzyme, or excuse me, in microbial activity. Well, that's true. But you're going to cause it to spike in such a way that you'll have a collapse. And so I used it as a joke. I mean, because there's no such, that term doesn't exist in, in uh, quantified and validated peer reviewed studies. That's just something made up. You know, they're riding around in a car somewhere and, you know, come up with silly names uh, or terms that, you know, tend to confuse and don't add much to the real discussion. Um, that's where that came from. The, the term microbial collapse is something, the term is made up. And so it's kind of like, yeah, and that means what? So that's that's the base. The basis of that is that uh, that these enzymes that are present in any seed, uh, that's why we use them uh, for medicines. And, and the human race has been malting grains forever um, in some form. And so those the release of those enzymes have done nothing but benefit the human race as well as the plant world. You know, uh, it's it just some things are too insane to even discuss in um, in a soil or any comp in compost. We want to keep it alive, and in in a container where it's being watered correctly, it's being uh, ma maintained by top dressing materials. There's things going on, there's human activity. And so I guess what I was probably trying to explain is that outside is that the compost usually gets stuck in a pile with a tarp over it. And sure, you can suppress uh, microbial colonies, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of my understanding of it is like, you know, anything can be beneficial or poison, right? Like even water can be too much water can be a poison so like right. i kind of thought of it similar to like um so the the, the fault of a air actively aerated compost tea um is that you're blooming you know if you add too much sugar you're going to bloom the the biology in such a way it can cause it to go anaerobic right it'll actually even though you're pumping air in it'll use that air so fast or whatever and I was thinking that it was a similar effect if you were, you know, like super high dosing in, in a way, you know, like I've heard some crazy stuff. You were talking about the one guy, too, that was doing like 10 pounds on a on a 800 gallon pot or something. Outside. Yeah. I was almost thinking it'd be a similar effect of like adding too much sugar to a, a compost tea. You know what I'm saying? Well, even then you're not creating a collapse. You might be creating a species collapse, but even then you're going to have a, a new species, maybe an anaerobic species, uh, move in and take over. Right. And that happens in nature ubiquitously and extremely quickly. So that's why you won't, you won't really find a microbial collapse in the scientific nomenclature, but you, it certainly can exist. Like just understanding the micro, like that microbial collapse isn't a specific term that a specific uh, used right, yeah. tribe coots very, you know, two row malted barley. I mean, you know, there isn't science to support that, and there is science to support that this grain is a is a 
really important part of our diet and soil. Right, no doubt, yeah. And our history. And, and let me add one other thing. The loudest and most vociferous uh, complaints and criticisms about that have come from the compost tea crowd. And you know why? Because barley gets the results that they've been promising for over 20 years. This isn't something I'm new on. I mean, I first met up with these guys not too much before uh, yuck, yuck, uh, Timmy with Microbes was published. Okay, and then it was called Simplicity. And now it's called Kiss Organics. Okay, they were, uh, in fact, if you look at the book and the pictures, the majority of photographs, the, the uh, uh, microscope photographs are done by uh, Simplicity or Leon Hussey, uh, Tad's father. Yep. So I'm not new to this, you know, I mean, and I built, and it doesn't matter. I built uh, tea brewers and then I watched them go through the vortex. Do we go clockwise or counterclockwise? Ooh, <laughs> oh, that's something to argue about. Okay. Uh, I don't know, do you wipe from the front or the back? I, you know, I don't really care, but you can share it with your son or something, you know, or whatever. No, if you got, I got uh, daughters, so I know you got to go front to back. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, learning that shit now, man. <laughs> so, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's like getting a bunch of Baptists together so they can argue about how many angels can sit on the head of a pen. You know, and like my, my thing is, how about building your soil right from the beginning? And then you don't have to play these silly games with $600 brewers and $800 play microscopes from China. You know, I mean, come on, let's get real here. Um, build your soil, you know, invest in that. Buy a book or here's an idea. Read a book, you know, anything that isn't published by a cannabis writer. Um no, I've hand mixed about 10, 11 yards of, uh, of uh, different, there's five different recipes I did just based because uh, I was mixing sure. one or two yards at a time and, and the, the different, uh, like I started out, I, I was able to get a really nice pumice stone. And then for the next time I went to go mix it, that was, that was gone, you know, and then I ended up going with uh, the grow stone instead and then the next batch i went to mix that was fucking out of business and gone so i've actually settled on sand and pea gravel now so. well here's one just to consider um and usually you get those at landscape yards the, the companies that cater to that trade that industry if you will um lava rock often used on uh flower beds as a kill everything but the plant mulch you know what i'm saying anyway uh lava rock is actually scoria s-c-o-r-i-a and it's some would argue that it's a form of pumice but anyway you get the idea the structure's there the holes are there it allows for nutrient sequestering as it's called so uh that's an option to look into to see if any of the landscape suppliers in your uh, part of the world, if the, that's something they carry. And it usually comes in three colors, the red, the black, which is, uh, a, well, that, never mind. Black, black pumice is obsidian. Uh, 
Now, could it paint those? Isn't the red like painted on though? Isn't that no. Like, no? Okay. No, it's iron oxide. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, there's a gray as well, but no, uh, at least not on the West Coast. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that because I don't know what goes on. We, I live where they, there's volcanoes everywhere, up and down from Canada down to uh, like Sacramento area. The Cascades are one of the longest uh, volcanic uh, string of mountains in, on the planet. I got a couple other tough questions if you want, man. Go ahead, I, mean, man. All, I, I only mean them with all due respect, but they're just questions that popped up for me when I when I listen to other conversations you've had. But um, one of them, you made a comment about uh, neem being nit nitrifying in the soil. And yes. kind of my understanding of like nit nitrification is is an actual biological process. And I was trying to dig up information on it. And what I found basically like on what you were saying is they would, they would use that ability for, so my understanding of it was neem would suppress the nitrifying bi biology so that when they would apply urea on a field that it wouldn't switch so fast into the uh, atmospheric form of nitrogen or whatever in that nitrogen process or whatever. Correct. Correct. And, and by holding that, uh, then it allows, uh, Mean meal, as well as most seed meal, seeds contain high levels of the enzyme urease, which is uh, directly related to the deconstruction of, of urea. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's where your uh, that's where that comes into play, and by retarding that, then it allows for the nitrogen to remain in the soil. Karanja does the same thing. It's a legume, like alfalfa or clover or, you know, whatever, uh, hairy vetch, whatever you like to use. Um, so that's why Karanja, and it has a different set of uh, compounds or constituents that provide the pesticide and fungicides that are completely different than neem because it's based on pangamia oil. And in India, pangamia oil is the big one used in cosmetics and skin creams and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, we actually produce it here in the United States down in Florida. I've, I've been to the farms down there. We have about a 400 acres in production of uh, neem trees. So, And I will say, too, Coot, I know you recommend there's a certain brand that Jeremy sells on uh, Build-A-Soil. It's like in a 50-pound bag. That was one that you highly recommended. And I'll say from personal experience, I've bought in the uh, down-to-earth, and it is definitely not the same shit as that. <laughs> that stuff's way, way better. There's a way better response from the plants, and it's uh, it's a lot nicer, in my opinion. I, I would, I guess, agree with your, your advocating for that certain one. Oh, really? You mean the, the okay? That's from uh, Neem Resource, and that's a really funny story. Is that there's a magazine that's been in publication since 1970, 71, maybe, called Acres USA. It's uh, the longest uh, publication dealing with sustainable and to some degree organic farming. Is this practice on a, a bigger scale? It's not gardens. It's you know, there's livestock articles, there's 
how to mineralizing uh, soil by you know, 400 acres, 600 acres, you know, farming. Yep. And there was an ad in there. It was a third page, ad, third of a page ad. So it was really big. And it mentioned neem oil and karanja oil and meals, both meals. And the name of the company was the Ahimsa company. And Ahimsa is a term used in uh, Hinduism that has to do with not harming or killing animals, it's, you know, other organisms. And I had had some experience with a product from Dynagro. They had a neem seed tree oil neem seed neem tree seed oil that's what it was called from dynagro the same people who do the hydroponic stuff white bar they were like yeah they, they were like one of the first companies to do hydroponics back in the 80s yeah. yeah um so i was familiar with it and at that time she had a uh, her name was usha who owns the company and her family has been involved in the neem business for decades. And her brother had like one of the larger of the uh, production houses in Mumbai, which is where it all comes to a head, the collection of the seeds and the pressing and the separation of the oil from the meal and what have you. So anyway, she had this deal. You got a gallon of oil of neem and a gallon of karanja a gallon, and then five pounds of each meal delivered anywhere in the United States for a buck fifty. So I just was shocked because usually you paid over a hundred dollars for a gallon of crap. And this was like the real deal. So I was posting that uh, IC mag and I started a thread about Neem Karanja. And had her give a you know a shout out to Usha to the Ahimsa corporations. She later told me that she had to hire like two people. They had to do it twenty four seven to keep up with the orders. And she was losing on every order that went out the door. But it was a you know lost leader trying to get the business going. And soon she was selling like five hundred or fifty gallon barrels. Imagine that 50 gallon barrels of neem and 50 gallon barrels of karanja to some of the big players down in Southern Oregon. So, um, that's where I got my uh, uh, neem and karanja. It was a neem resource from a hemsta. That's yeah, that's yeah, a neem resource. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and she's a uh, resource. Um, yeah, she's a great, great, great uh, human being. And uh, yeah, we go back a lot of years. I mean, I never bothered her, but every time I would put an order in, you know, do it online kind of thing. Um, under special instructions, I just put hi from Clackamas Cood. And so the next day I'd get a refund uh, from her saying that, you know, your money's no good here, so. She would, whatever I ordered, it wasn't really much, you know, just my little personal garden kind of thing. But, uh, 
Yeah, I'm a big proponent of neem oil and and neem and the karanja both. And the stuff that she gets out of Mumbai, it's really it's the real deal. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can definitely tell a difference. Oh, show. Yeah, it's. Um, I have to laugh at people that criticize neem. Uh, and it's always because of some other agenda, you know, them trying to sell their product or whatever. But uh, yeah, it takes more work. You got to emulsify it. You know, I'm, I, you know, I don't know what to say. It's going to break up your day. <laughs> you got to emulsify oil. I've actually oil is hard. Mess. I've never huh? used neem as a oil. I've always only used the neem cake. And the- oh, really? Yeah, that's one of uh, that's one of the ingredients for the soil mix when I right. did, and it's one of the um, top dresses that I was doing. So it's probably it's, a little uh, bit of oil in the cake, at least if you get it from Ahimsa. I took a cup of that, soaked it in five gallons of water, had a yes. certainly potent with oil um, IPM spray. You're running about eight to ten percent after the pressing. Every, with the one exception of in this country, what we call alfalfa meal, which is just finely chopped alfalfa plants. Um, every time the word uh, meal is used, and in most of the rest of the world, it's called cake, is after a seed is pressed for its oil. Soybean meal is soybeans that had the oil pressed out for oil, right? Uh, flaxseed meal. Um, anyway, you get the idea. Oh, dude. So I, I got to ask this question. Tal's been very patient. He asked it a long time ago and um, we totally spaced and I feel like a jerk. Uh, Tal asks, please ask if more than 30% uh, worm castings is better. Rhonda Sherman says up to 50% it's still improving plant health. And that's because maybe most people don't have access to high quality worm castings and 30% is all that's necessary when you're using high quality. What's your take, Jim? Okay. I I've been criticized for this and I, and I will apologize if I've offended anybody. It is not necessary to do a third castings in the so-called coots mix. Basically, your benefit flat lines at 20% of the quality that you've experienced, you know, from Doug. When you're using a, a, a vermicompost of that quality, above 20, you're not doing any damage, but you're, there's nothing to gain. You, you flat line, um, which is why I really strongly recommend applying for top dressing a light top dressing of a barley malt powder so, and just water it in. So cool. When you do the, like the basic Cornell mix, which is kind of like the basic structure for, for the Coots mix, but that's a third, a third, a third. So if you're only doing 20% of vermicompost as that third compost, would you add in then like a vegetable compost or a leaf mold or something? Sure. To- absolutely. That, that would be a wonderful idea. I mean, to use uh, black leaf mold is something that it has to be done 
try to believe the results. Because think about it, leaves contain a lot of lignin, cellulose, whatever term you're used to. That's fungal food. So leaf mold is really high in fungal colonies. Whereas vermicomposting is very much a bacteria driven process. And, and Ms. Uh, Dr. Sherman is right. You know, going that high, you can do it, but there's no reason to. If you're, if you start with really good quality castings and you've done it methodically and correctly, and it's not real hard, believe me. And you can go and what you end up 50. with. 50% with subquality castings and you're not going to see like a problem. No. Because it again, it has far less if you did the NPK on castings, I promise you that you'd just you'd blow your mind. You can't grow a plant in that. Yeah. <laughs> Proving that NPK means absolutely nothing. But I'll right. take I'll take uh, vermicompost over any fertilizer program ever oh i hell yeah man the the vermicompost works amazing and i i kind of did that in my soil mix the most recent one and i did like two-thirds of that you know so like a, a yard is 27 cubic feet so i just broke that down into nine cubic feet of each third right and i did six right. cubic feet of worm castings and three cubic feet of the alaskan hummus um so, you know, I mean, I like that because it's like chunky, man. There's still chunks of sticks and twigs and stuff in it. So, I don't know. To me, it kind of seemed more. more no, it's good. It's good. It's good fungal food. I mean, um, the right type of woods, we were discussing that earlier. You don't, you know, definitely don't want to use pine. Um, but it depends what part of the country. Oak is good. Uh Eagle had a question about maple that I just honestly couldn't answer. I believe it to be a hardwood. Yep. Um, most of your aromatics you want to stay away from, like hickory uh, or, God forbid, mesquite, which isn't really a wood, but it's more of a cacti, isn't it? Mesquite, yeah. So, again, I, I want to weigh in on this. Because I did weigh in on this and chat a little bit. And oddly enough, coming from the salt guy. And, um, you know, my take on the reduction from the 30 to the 50 could be quality. But uh, if, you know, you're dealing with your worm castings anyway, it sounds like we kind of went over that, you know. You should be making them yourself, flat out, you know. You're Absolutely. cheating yourself if you're having to, you know, put in more to fucking supplement the shit you're putting in <laughs> key answer there just put in better and you know you know but i think i you know my take on that is and we kind of discussed this a little bit is you know earthworm castings are great especially if you're saying you can only utilize 20 percent. well i could see again having a little bit extra laying around just in case you know the plant blooms and you know it just needs that extra you know that's a good thing but to take it to a 50 percent rate you know worm castings at that volume loses aeration you 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 water that once and it's a slurry it's mud the plant has no you know 
good root take no no it just suffocates basically like that so i could see the reduction from 50 to 30 and being able to you know add more aeration to the mix you know being a good thing myself yeah you know better quality better aeration and because you know we I just unless yeah, you can't afford the fancy inputs like if you if, if all you're doing is feeding your worm bin your kitchen scraps and you're letting the water drain out and you're drying out all your your kitchen scraps before you put them in there and you're doing that properly then you know you may have to go higher than 20 30 percent but if you're putting in neem and karanja and barley and gypsum into your worm bin then that's 20 percenter man you don't need more than that that's my i think that's my take so, and with this, I want to, I want, I want to take this moment because I have yet to do this, and I have talked about this with, I believe, everybody on the panel here. Okay, now this is again coming from the salt guy talking to an amazing organic panel. I want to throw that out there. You guys are all everybody I'm looking at. I have tons of respect for. It. I just want to throw that out there as I speak. Okay. Smiley's Gardens here. Thank you, Smiley. Was nice enough to force feed me the organic method here. It's the tip. And it is, like he said, a base <laughs> uh, on Mr. Coot's mix here. And this is the first time I've, I've talked about it, but this is the first time I've actually showed it. You know, side by side. This is Four, the strain's the same across the board. Two plants here are Smiley slash Coop Mix, and the other two are My Cocoa and Salts. So this is the difference that everybody's been waiting to see. And it's quite obvious. It's quite obvious. I hate, I hate to say this, but okay, you can see the boxes and the cocoa. Which would you, and I, I've, I have just, you know, which looks healthier there to you? I, I mean, water only or what I've been adding to my, I mean, they're pretty same size, but I would definitely say there's something going on on the one side. And I've defoliated that girl, them two girls heavy. And uh, I'm, like I've said before, Man, the structures over here, the the stems are like, you know what I mean? You go over here and they're like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're this they're the same age, the same, same, same. So the two on I the guess... right are the the two on the right are the smiley coot mix. Yes, sir. The boxes are welcome the to the dark side, mix. Eagle. So, if you guys, that, that's the difference. You know, it, it, this difference. was just based off a discussion because, like, that's been the big argument all the time is that, and Eagle agrees with this too, is that, well, cocoa's faster, you can veg them faster, and you can grow a bigger yield from, from cocoa. And I was like, well, let's just do a side-by-side and see how much faster or how much bigger of a plant, you know? Like, what are we really talking about here? You're- Organics didn't slow the system down at all, at all. You know what I mean? Organics did not slow it down. 
Eagle, the two on the right are what I expect to see when I look at my plan. Me too. That, that kind of development. I mean, yep. That no that shape and structure, that's, perfect profile, man. Yep. Yep. Dancing. That's. I'm not denying that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not denying that. Welcome I'm to not, the dark side, I'm, Eagle. You're organic now. Oh, well, by the way, Eagle, the good, good source for the neem meal is right in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. That's where. You notice what's funny is you say that, uh, Aaron. I notice as I look into my, the the camera there, my screen, my face is all dark. You're like, "Oh, welcome to the dark side." Because of the the <laughs> lens I'm holding it up, I'm actually like all dark. He does shit. look like a <laughs> you just see the silhouette of his face, his face silhouette. Perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. Totally hey, unplanned, Aaron, but I just happened to notice. Now you have to do me a favor in this because I I, I love Dr. MJ, but his whole reasoning is based off from well, I'm actually more green because I'm saving power because my plants veg at a faster rate and be and can be flipped into flowers sooner. And this kind of throws a monkey wrench into what that statement is. You know what I mean? So listen, listen. You can't tell Dr. MJ nothing. <laughs> All right. He's, he's, a, he's a good friend on the show, you know? I, I like mean, Dr. MJ, too. But he's a, he's a tough son of a bitch, and he's hard to, you know, get anything across. Like, you know, he knows what he knows, and, and he won't, like, really take much in. But that said, you'll see me scrap. You see me scrap it out with him sometimes. I, just see, I, mean, I think he sets himself up for it because because of how he goes about it you know what i'm saying like he's really really biased to cocoa growing really yeah. really severely biased yeah. to cocoa growing. yeah so he, sometimes I the hope... statements will come off like this this absolute you know like the other day i was kind of making a point of that where he was like well the, the best roots are in cocoa he said it like it was nice i know and i was like I wait know. a minute man that's not Dude, did you see my face when he said that i was like I mean, dude, I can't, I can't, I can't agree with it, but I'm also not going to like, I got to pick my battles because I don't want to be the guy who, who just fights everything right, he says, no. but there's a lot of stuff. I mean, if the question's about Coco, I talk about, I don't talk because I, I've only done Coco once or twice and it was 15 years ago and yep. I do totally different stuff now. So, but um, hands down, he, have knows, a... he knows the cocoa shit. Hands down, man, he's smart. Oh yeah, dude, for sure, for sure. But it ain't it. It doesn't produce the same quality weed. <laughs> I don't care. You can say your roots are healthier, but bro, my weed is terpier. Sorry. Well, we'll get to find that out too at the end of this. So we haven't even gotten to the best part yet. Ego. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I did nothing but stoke this fire. I can tell. I can tell. I, now, that's well, why I'm I, not even saying anything. I just shut my mic off. I was like, all right, oh, let, no. let him come. Let him come. <laughs> but since we're talking about this though, right now, because because like plant structure was something I called out even beforehand, Eagle. I was like, I want you to see them grow side by side on a strain, you know, because you're going to see a difference in plant structure. And I said that pretty confidently because of the level of calcium. And the uptake of calcium is in, the, is in a correct way that the plant can actually branch the normal way that it should be. So like, like a lot of times when, when we're running a, a cocoa and a fertilizer nutrient mix, like 
that NPK, calcium, magnesium, all those ratios are, are, are based on what, what you're putting in that bottle. Like you can increase or decrease the concentration, but the ratios between all that shit's the same, right? Like, so, so what I'm getting at there is when the plant is uptaking uh, nitrates and nitrogen form, it causes a taller, stretchier plant. So it gives a placebo that, holy shit, my plant just grew a shit ton. But when you're actually driving plant growth off from calcium, you'll get that same amount of plant growth. It just, it looks different because it's growing in branches as much. It's cell as structure and strength and, and yeah. fibrous separation. And yeah, no, I agree. A hundred percent. Tighten up and it'll start, uh-huh. it'll start to throw a heavier, stronger branching. And that's, that's really the biggest difference, man. Like uh, to me was like the holy shit, you know, like it's like, how do you, how else do you explain that? Unless you fucking hear dude, see it for yourself, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. So, and, and a uh, dude, St. Bernard, this is so funny. St. Bernard's observation booth said, how do you know if someone grows organically? Don't worry. They'll tell you that's fucking hilarious because that's yeah, true. we will. We do that. <laughs> the- I mean, there is kind of a religiosity to it, I guess, too, you know, where it's like, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I don't fall into that because I've had really shitty grown organic weed. So, you know, I'm saying like people's inputs weren't off, but they sprayed the fuck out of it with something or whatever. It didn't taste right. I don't know. Like, and then so it's I don't know. I mean, and I've had really, really well done, you know, hydroponic weed, too. And I've had really killer shit that way. So to say that, oh, you grew it in, in hydroponic or cocoa and it sucks is fucking wrong, in my opinion. You can't just assume that. You can fuck it up just as easy either way. So, <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of knowledge, man. And that's the thing. There's a thousand ways to do it wrong and just a couple of ways to do it right. It's easy, but it's that. not. You know <laughs> And it's easy, but it's not. Yeah, it's easy, but it's not. Yeah, oh. that's pretty accurate. Coot, you've been All quiet right. for the last couple of minutes. What, what's going it's through your mind? Uh, I guess I disagree. I don't disagree. Uh, I've not had the experience of having... God, I hate using this word. Good hydroponic cannabis. Ah. In general, I found it to be going back in the earliest days when it was the rage, you know, in the 80s. Uh, Evan Flow, uh, NFTs. Oh, that was my favorite. Hey, how could you possibly fuck this up? Uh, nutrient flow technique. Yeah, good luck. Um, non recovery systems, recovery, you know, just on and on and on. And I just draw the analogy of we grow a lot of, excuse me, there's four commodities that are grown in greenhouses up in uh, Washington and uh, Canada. Tomatoes, bell peppers, the uh, orange and red ones, you know, in the wintertime, the ones that have no flavor, even to somebody blindfolded, they couldn't tell you the difference. Uh, Those hothouse cukes, the Cucumbers that are wrapped in plastic. Uh, let's see what else. You know what I've tasted that I that I actually this is the one vegetable that I tasted that was better hydroponic was um, 
spinach, like baby spinach. Right. Because but it's like a leafy vegetable. It's a tasty. You don't one. like to taste the spinach because if you grew spinach. I think that's the case. Yeah. In your garden, if you grew spinach in your garden with one of the heirloom varieties and organic soil, it is a whole different experience than what you get. You got to remember, man, produce is grown for its, what they call legs. What's its durability from the time it's picked till you have to sell it? You know, how long is it going to last? Like potatoes have longer periods of time, longer legs than iceberg lettuce, we'll say. Or, you know, so it has nothing to do with flavor. Look at the tomatoes they sell. You ever eaten a good tomato from a grocery store ever in your life? Versus the one you grow yourself? Yeah. Hey, um, I do got another question about soils, because I know, um, so the more I dug into, like, I was trying to kind of get my head around, how do I go about feeding and, and re-amending? And I know you have suggestions, but I'm just trying to understand, like, when we talk about parts per million, or like, like you refer to the, you know, one cubic foot of 112 cups, and then add one cup of the gypsum or whatever additive you're doing and, and measure it that way. But um, what it, the weight actually of that soil matters a lot for how that parts per million would be, would be measured in this, you know, I'm, do you know what I'm getting at? Like if I built a heavier soil, like my soil is heavy as shit. It's got, you know, sand and pea gravel in it and all kinds of heavy shit. But, but what I noticed when I ran the soil test is like, my organic matter came back in like 10, it was 10% organic matter. And, it, and the guy kind of flagged that as being low for a potting soil, which I guess it is. But, but the more I started thinking about it, cause I'm like, how is that only 10%? But it's because it's so fucking heavy. I added a lot of rock dust and, and rocks to it. So basically that percentage of organic matter got skewed because of the weight, the sheer weight of the soil, you know what I'm saying? So like the more I was looking into that too, is like when we go to add inputs as top dressing and measuring them out, wouldn't, wouldn't weighing it make more sense than trying to measure it in a volume, kind of a cup type thing? Like, well, what, how are you like, uh, I just go by. There's conversions. You can do it either way. I just go by volume. You know, I know what a half cup is what it looks like regardless of the material I mean, uh, you know if I'm going to put malted barley or we'll say uh, a malted grain on top of the soil and cover it with a skin of uh, worm castings that's a really nice punch in the flower cycle do that like every week or so uh, those kinds of things you know yeah. but pretty much the soil is built and as you've seen it kind of like set it and forget it. There's not a whole lot you have to do, except wonder why you didn't do it earlier in your career. You know, that the kinds of soil mixes can give you a garden that is just spectacular. I always have to, you know, it, I don't want to get into it. I'm not a hydro guy, so I'm the wrong guy to discuss it, so. Wish you luck. I hope everything works out. And, you know, right if you get work or something. 
So I'd like to point out a quick fact about the whole organics thing here. You know, I pointed it out to Doggo last night when I interviewed him. Because he was pointing out how uh, toxic the chats were at the top, at the start of, like, these panel shows. You know, at the beginning of GrowTube and stuff. And I was quick to point out that the, one of the triggers back then were organics. Now, we fast forward, what, eight, nine years since uh, GrowTube has, uh, you know, came to fruition there. And that, you notice, it's no longer a fucking argument in these chats. You know, I think <laughs> I think the debate here is uh, kind of kind of won. You guys have kind of kicked our ass in that debate. You know, it's equaled out in chats for, for sure. That's one thing, you know, I was quick to point out. I'm like, that argument's over, dude. We don't see that. We don't see these in the chats anymore. It's just advice. <laughs> the ironic part is that I never gave it a name. Uh, somebody asked me on a different board Form, whatever you call them at that time, uh, about the coots mix. And I said, what are you talking about? So, <laughs> you know, like, I don't give a shit. Uh, how about it, you know? Uh, it's just, you know, it's just figure it out. You know, there's no, there's no magic beam. Jack of the Beanstalk was a joke. He knew that when you were five years old. You know, there's no magic bean. It's hard work to grow good plants. You have to have good soil. How, however you get there depends on, well, that's where opinion comes in. And I found that worm castings are the path to the golden temple. You know, it's, I don't have to worry about it. If I get good castings, the rest of it's kind of like, eh, you know, it'll work out. So, as I've as I'm on my path to the golden temple, there, you know what I mean. I'm like still flipping over stones on the way there, and I can't figure out why you guys don't you know point out more often that the reason why we use these fucking shitty artificial nutrients isn't because organics was fucking up. It was because and this is what my you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but the push from uh, artificial nutrients came after the last world war there when they decided, you know, to put away the bombs and shit. They had a surplus of nitrogen and phosphorus and said, what the fuck are we going to do with it? And somebody went, I know what we can do with it. We'll trick big ag into using that shit and we'll just dump it everywhere and the salesman, the great salesman's been pushing it ever since. That's the dirty lie of fucking artificial nutrients right there. Is it was force-fed to you guys, us, as a, a waste product that they didn't have any other way to fucking deal with. So they would fucking found a great way and a, a niche to fucking funnel it into. And we've been trapped into it ever since. So, and, you know, the sad part about that is, hold on, let me finish. The sad okay. part of that is they fucking, uh, they got us hooked on a lot of people. And, and so this is the way to go. And then in the end, 
you know, there's only realistically so much phosphorus around to be mined. And now that they've got everybody hooked on the NPK, the NPK, <laughs> there's there at some point there's going to be a shortage of it. We're actually going to run ourselves out with it with their NPK NPK method, you know. Uh, so what are you what were they going to do then after you know we've mined as much as we can and they've got you guys all hooked on the method there. There'll be nothing left but the organic method that you should have started with. Ah, see, I'm learning. I'm learning. They're already going to that, Eagle. <laughs> Matt Monsanto is they're already advertising a biology-based kind of fertility for agricultural use. So, my, One of my favorite bags or brands uh, now is miracle Grow or miracle Grow. Yeah, miracle Grow has a bag that says organic and natural. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, let's break it down. Organic, of course, there's something in there that's going to be organic. I'm not sure what. They don't identify that. Okay. The word natural has no regulatory or statutory meaning. So it was a gift to the food industry to use the word natural because it sounds real groovy. Except that it doesn't mean anything. If it doesn't mean anything in juice or margarine or whatever, do you think it means much in fertilizer? <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, so, but it sounds really groovy. So, so we a- actually, this just kind of stemmed another question that's been in the back of my mind too, Coot. So, we talk about like chemistry and organic chemistry, the difference being. There's carbon in organic chemistry. That's the study of carbon-based chemistry, right? So when we talk about organic nutrients and inorganic nutrients, like when we're looking at nitrogen, we're always talking about that in ammonia or nitrate or nitrite form. But none of those are actually an organic form of it. None of those have a carbon attached. So like what is actually a carbon form of nitrogen? I think there's two definitions of organic basically and it's just been skewed from that that carbon understanding and it's now it applies to anything that's been processed in this natural way but there scientifically you're right carbon organic means carbon based but we've we're in a new field it's you know things have different definitions in different fields basically if you think of it aaron when we're talking about organic forms of nitrogen what would come to your mind would be like soybean meal alfalfa meal you know i mean those are kind of what we put down as forms of organic forms of nitrogen but what i'm getting at is like it was kind of like a leading question i guess because there is a difference in in how plants can uptake that and we we've only been taught or a lot of the publications out there are based on inorganic forms of nitrogen and how those minerals are being uptaken and that's what we're figuring out now is that there's like like the endophyte endophytic biology the the ones that plants are actually consuming and spitting back out and they're stripping nitrogen well that's a that's an organic form of nitrogen that thing took up even though inside the planet it put it took it as nitrate or whatever and i whichever one I, I forget but but you know like nobody really talks about microbial metabolites and that's where i think like the magic of 
worm castings is and the whole harmony of the soil food web is in in those microbial metabolites you know yeah, yeah. both you know and carbon is is certainly a a um an important component mm -hmm. um, um so but like yeah yeah it's, it's it's like a go ahead no like in the in the soil food web kind of like elaine ingham's studies like the the way they describe the biology is that the bacteria are the like nutrient sacs and then the higher forms amoeba and those are the nutrient spreaders you know what i'm saying and that's where like i think we get a lot more of those metabolites happening is through that those higher forms of that biology taking over or not taking over but being in a an abundance along with everything else you know and uh and that's where i think like having um like when we add nitrogen to it in a liquid form it it hinders the ability for the biology to do what it needs to do where like it's similar to like phosphorus and all that too you know i don't know where i was going with the question man i got lost on it but but i just think we don't ever talk about uh you know like organic forms of nitrogen in that kind of context it's always talked about in nitrates and ammonia you know they do on higher level agricultural discussion they do i mean like when i when i got my soil testing done and i and i consulted four different soil consultants i i i got my brain wrung like a wet rag dude i mean the sh the, the shit that they know that the gross store guys don't tell you and that Ed Rosenthal and Jorge Cervantes don't write in books like huh. would fucking astound you. You mean facts? Right. <laughs> Sorry. What, I missed it. What'd you say, Jim? Facts. 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 Oh yeah. 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 I remember uh a couple of years after microbes, teaming with microbes, whatever, um, came out. Jeff was in charge of a Yahoo email group. It was a forum, but then you got email updates if you wanted. And so I'd rather go to a Baptist convention and hang out and listen to this dribble. Okay, and this was in the early days before I got really nutty about which way should the water spin around in a vortex, uh, clockwise or counterclockwise? Or should we be able to reverse it? This is what you think about, really? You're trying to grow a fucking plant, you know? I mean, give me a break. And you, they would have, this went on for months excuse me, weeks, not months, but like three weeks back and forth. And the self-appointed, you know, it doesn't take much to be an expert in this field. Today, you're a mycologist. Tomorrow, you're a microbiologist. You know, maybe by next Wednesday, you'll be uh, a botanist. I mean, you know, it just goes on and on and on. They couldn't pass an interest test to Oaksterdam U. Uh, in fucking Oakland, you know, take a class from 
I, I, never mind. I don't get into that. But anyway, you know, just how stupid do you want to make it? Yeah, I think the best quote for that I heard from uh, um, the Adva- AEA, Advancing Eco Agriculture, John John Count, that's his name. But it was, uh, you know, often the, the problem does not lie in what we don't know, but it often lies in what we think we know, but it just isn't so. <laughs> so yes. I think that's like the best fucking quote for all that. Cause it's like so many of us are like, no, no, man, I fucking, I had recharge once a week. So I got a fucking, I got my biology's on point, you know? And it's kind of like, once you kind of know, the more you learn about it, the more you learn how false of a statement that is, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then it's like, well, then you start learning more about what's going on. And, you know, you bring up a subject that's near and dear to me. The one thing that drives me absolutely crazy is, Something along these lines. Well, the reason that I use aspirin in my water source is I've done this way for years and I grow really good weed. Okay, whatever. Have you ever tried not doing it to see if it made any difference? No. Okay. So you're not interested in even testing this out. You know, couldn't run a, a plant over here in a one gallon container in the corner just just to see that's beyond your scope huh okay good do you have anything else you'd like to add so then we move on to well buddy of mine he grows really good stuff and he says you know you should shake the nutrients side to side not up and down because you'll bruise the chemical structure or, you know, some stupid shit like, you know, whatever. You should, you, the water should be uh, activated. How do I activate it? Oh, you got to add some, you know, lactobacillus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Probiotic farming. This should be fun. What's next? You know, anyway, just made up science, just go on and on and on and on, you know. Nothing, no basis in fact, or did you study this? Did, did this just come to you in a dream? You know, uh, was this during or after rehab? You know, so anyway. <laughs> was there a difference in the weed between the hydroponic and the soil? We haven't uh, made it that far yet. So this is oh, okay. the first round. Gotcha. We'll get there. I, but I hate to say it, I think I think we know that answer. I think I think that's gonna be pretty apparent. Well your lighting is I mean the plants look really healthy, you know, so that's a good thing. Wouldn't be like trying using uh happy frog with uh I don't know. Miracle Grow or something, you know. We'll call it Super Soil, Coot Super Soil. You see, Miracle Grow, Happy Frog, and what's some other crap? Pick one. We'll call it Coot Super Soil. Now I just need a line of uh, newts. Newts. Yeah. Coots newts. Yeah, that's what I need. There you go. They are happy, you know. You kind of touched on something too, 
coot there because like the more I've been trying to figure out like um, you know just feeding a plant in a in a so living soil system and what they need and how how I can get them everything. But like when you when you talk about newts like that, so the more I've been learning about it on like a saturated paste test, like Albrecht's system of balancing the minerals there, like if you're if you're short in a mineral in that balance and you add this new product, say it's whatever potassium and you notice a benefit from the plant. Great. Because that was where your low point was in that balance. But, but now your buddy hears you say, Oh, I added this thing and it's the magic key answer to it, but he's already got plenty of potassium in there. Now he goes, adds this thing, throws everything out of whack, does whatever it does with excess potassium. But but you see what I'm getting at is like whatever you're trying to do, you're really theoretically in a soil system. Like what we're talking about organics here is we're trying to balance those minerals. So like if we're adding something, it really should be to address bringing that balance back in order. Right. Like, yes. And let's uh, redefine that for a second. Or let me explain why I advocate kelp meal. Kelp is a plant that does not have a root system and yet it can grow. Let me convert meters to feed. It's like times three. Right? Uh, it, can, it can grow up to 200 uh, feet a year, a season, which is nine months. And it's sitting in, in the, some of the cleanest waters on the planet. And it's taking in all 83 elements that are required for plants to thrive, not just survive, thrive. So when we use it judiciously, we're not only adding every element known that plants need because it itself is a plant, right? And the fact that it took it up and absorbed it it's been chelated. So the availability, the bioavailability of the elements in kelp meal is immediately uh, manifested. That's the right way to phrase that. Um, and most importantly, it's going to be in the right balance. The boron is going to be in the right balance, the calcium that's necessary for assimilation. The molybdenum is going to be in the right balance to the potassium. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And all of that for what? A uh, dollar, something a pound? I mean, I think it's a, an expensive uh, solution. It's, it's uh, not solution, but uh, maintenance of the, of the uh, ecosystem of the soil and the plant. I'm absolutely not against kelp. I use kelp just based off your recommendation too. But um, my question would go to based on what you just said on, so all the nutrients are in balance in the way the plant needs. But when we talk about like um, wild sourcing, different stuff, you know, there's certain plants that can accumulate higher levels of calcium or higher levels of potassium or whatever. So wouldn't, would that that wouldn't play true across all of our top dress like so like alfalfa meal or you know i don't know if anybody uses soybean meal but so. old, old timers used to refer to alfalfa meal as uh field kelp 
the, the advantage of alfalfa is it is a bio-nutrient accumulator. And so it's accumulating the elements in the right balance, the correct balance. Uh, and it also has some, at least one, and I, it's an oxen or hormone called uh, tria is, is the trade name. Triaconitol. Triaconitol, yeah. There you go, excuse me. That's correct. And that's the only plant uh, uh, on earth that creates that compound. In the same way that brown kelp well, is the only organism that creates alginic acid. So it's not a question of either or, it's more a question of why not both. Uh, they're both beneficial. And, and we'll, because it's about the compounds and the enzymes that they bring to the party that is probably gonna be the biggest differences versus NPK or that type of you know, side-by-side -side analysis. Which, I, quite frankly, botanists have been proven over and over the last 50 years that there's just some areas that they're not that not so sure should, about. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a lot of BS. And a lot of it's because look at how the research is paid for. Monsanto is one of the biggest uh, uh, finance, financiers of the studies. Why? Because when the study's over, they get the the science to turn it into a product. That's why. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, that works that way in medicine. It works that way in fertilizer, and it works that way in amendments. So, uh, you know, down here at Corvallis, which is our state, the Oregon University Systems Agricultural School and Horticulture School because uh, the nursery industry is a big business here. So they have their own school. And uh, you wouldn't believe what goes on in the nursery trade. I mean, it's, you know, uh, ammonium nitrate and uh, phosphoric acid. There you go, there's your new program. So, yeah. Probably won't be so, too helpful adding uh, mycorrhizal fungi to your soil mix. Yeah. ATG there, uh, uh, I just wanted to pop in. I believe we're coming up close to the, the allotted time. Uh, well, that, you uh, guys, you have yeah, to do your thing. I got to, I'm like, my wife woke up sick two days ago and not like, you know, virus sick, but like, you know, she's got a sore throat and stuff. She's pretty much over it, but I'm certainly responsible to uh, pull some husbandry duties on Christmas Eve. Come on, happy wife, happy Christmas life, Eve. brother. I know. So, I but I love this man. This was honestly smiley. I got I earned uh, you earned a lot of respect from me uh, tonight, um, and I enjoyed the conversation, Jim. Obviously, always fun time. Um, everybody, check out my new YouTube channel. I'm trying to get something going for New Year's Eve. I'm trying to create the, this little party where everybody pops in and um but I'm, i think i might do it on michigan bros grow show channel so subscribe there subscribe to my youtube channel check out my uh instagram atg acres check out my website atgacres.com 
check out plant packers which is my sh- clone shipper i got so much shit going on right now um but this was so much fun i appreciate you guys so much eagle you're the man we are not worthy oh and i meant to say this earlier eagle dude the guests you've been bringing on you're a savage bro you you've been killing it like i could not show you enough love you are killing it so i'm it is an honor to be on the show i love you guys Oh man, it was an honor and huge thank you for putting this together. You know, this I, I, I give credit where credit is due, and this was you guys. You guys came to me with this amazing episode. I didn't come to you guys and hey, can you you guys came and delivered an a, amazing Christmas Eve night. I mean, it has been an amazing night. I can't thank you enough for uh putting this together, helping out, hanging out, dropping the knowledge that you do every week in chat there so you know i appreciate that for sure and you always have a place over here i just want to point that out on a non-monetized network Uh. dude oh hey (laughs) i I mean uh, like we can do it we can i don't know how youtube works man they just that you know he just so happened to pop on obviously you you know i i uh you're a good buddy of mine so i'm down to do it whatever man we're gonna get the shit popping just, one way. Just throw or another. that out there. Are you gonna co- you're gonna come on right to up. the VIP party though, right? That I throw on uh, the oh, yeah. channel. Okay, oh. all right, all right. And Coot, obviously, I'm gonna send you guys all the links. Smiley, I'm gonna send everybody the link that's on the panel here and and some of your other regulars. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun, man. I hope everybody gets a chance to pop in New Year's Eve. We'll we'll get it popping. Right, really, Later, guys. Later, Jim. Later, thank Eagle. See you, Smiley. You, man. Have a good Christmas, man. Thank you. Man, that's one amazing guy right there. I am very stoked, man. It has been an incredible year this year as far as getting me to meet uh, people in the cannabis industry. And uh, he was no exception, no exception. I admired uh, his knowledge when I got to meet him. And one of the things I, I I enjoyed about him and I still enjoy about it. And I told it to him during his episode is his feistiness and wanted putting to put forth the correct knowledge. You know, I appreciate the passion that he has for sure. So shout out to you, ATG. Uh, either way you go, man, I wish your, your efforts much success, brother. So. Shout hey, out to you, my friend. He sent me a copy. He sent me a copy of a really uh, thorough, very thorough uh, soil test. It had all of this and the that's and the, you know, I'm going to, and I know the lab. They're down in Sacramento. They're they specialize in agriculture, not grow store bullshit. You know, this is a legitimate because they do CEC cation exchange capacity and. The whole the whole nine yards, right? So it sends me the part about the uh, elemental structure, the the newts, if you will. <laughs> Email. So I'm looking at it. I wrote back to him. I sent it back to him. And I wrote, "Hey, this will be really helpful when you can explain it to me." And then that was it. You know, I got a LOL, and that was the end of that conversation. You know, so because my answer is pretty simple, you know. Yeah, you use worm castings, you know. Then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Well, at some point, I, 
like even adding compost or worm castings on the top, at some point you do run into where I would think you'd want to bring in some aeration with that at some point too, right? I mean, if you start absolutely jamming two inches of worm castings on top, you're going to... My, it my basic, my basic uh, mix is one-third aeration, one-third worm castings, and one-third sphagnum, not peat moss, but sphagnum peat moss. Um, I guess you got to be old like me to go back to the days when you had to shake and flowers, you know, when you bought a lid, you got a certain percentage of shake and a certain percentage of tops or whatever the term was. No, that's Just huge, that. man. I, I will say, Jim, and to everybody listening too, when I started mixing soils, I just followed what you said. And I went and bought the cube, you know, the 3.8 cube, yeah. or whatever it yeah. is. And I went in and I, and I was surprised because I had seen ProMix before. So, but when I opened this, it had twigs and little, you know, I mean, there was, there was large yeah. chunks in this stuff as I started breaking yeah. it up, mixing it up. And I've gotten some other produced soils. In fact, the, the ones in the box were produced. Um, and that's the big difference that I kind of, I was a little, you know, I, I guess I was upset about it, but yeah, I mean, the original soil mix I got from them was that similar peat base like you're talking about there, the raw peat. Yep. And then all yep. of a sudden, halfway through, I got another batch, and it was not that raw peat, and I could tell. I could absolutely tell right away that it was different, you know. It feels different. It takes water different. It's like, it's such a nice right. thing. And I, and I heard you make that point before. That's just why I'm kind of echoing it, because I lived through it and heard you say it, and then I was like, Holy shit, once you see it, it's unbelievable the difference. So it, it gives your soil structure, aeration, uh, water pathways to the uh, lower root zone. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I threw that together <clears throat> just based on uh, experience. And, um, you know, I made it around something that made sense, you know. Uh, a third, third, and a third. There's your base mix, and uh, you know, mix and match whatever's available in your part of the world. You know, um, you know, it's like alfalfa. If you can't get kelp, use alfalfa. They grow more alfalfa on this planet than any other crop is alfalfa. So it's up in the. You wouldn't even believe the amount of tons that are produced worldwide on alfalfa. So. Yeah, you know, best stuff you can get is at the uh, feed.